up, everything? Have you heard the news that St. Louis native Pat Maroon is coming home to roost? We're very excited, and we want you to be, too. On top of discussing that, we'll be taking a look at the past two years for the Blues and the rebuild that we maybe didn't even realize was happening. It's been a whirlwind offseason in St. Louis, and we've got a lot to discuss. So let's get started, and let's go Oakville Tigers! This is the 49th episode of the Two Guys No Cup podcast. It is uh, Thursday, July 12th. We are here live in St. Louis, Missouri at our incredibly luxurious studios in Oakville High School's gymnasium at 5557 Milburn Road in St. Louis, Missouri, the home of Pat Maroon, some, a factoid that you will be hearing every day for the rest of your lives. But other than that, Annoyance, it's been a wonderful week for the Blues. I'm here with Ian Peters, who is amazingly talented. How are you doing today, Ian? Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm doing great. Oakville High School is closed currently, <laughs> assume. so it's very dark. <laughs> the lights are off. They but, are not motion But sensitive. they'll be back uh, mid-August, I'm sure. And hopefully Gross. they will let us out. Please. It's very smelly, and I've got ringworm. Oh, boy. It's a dark day here, but not for Blues fans, I'll tell you that much. Uh, the Blues, yes, completed the signing of Pat Maroon that we speculated about on our last episode, I think. And then we all collectively kind of knew what was happening for like four or five weeks Mm-hmm. On by Twitter weeks, by Twitter years, in dog years, in Twitter years, <laughs> it was like a good month and a half that these rumors were pretty much so- solid, and nothing happened. And then Lou Korak said exactly what it was going to be, and it was still like a day and a half. Uh, but it finally happened. Pat Maroon signing with his hometown St. Louis Blues to the tune of one year for one point seven five million dollars taking uh, what can only be said is likely a preposterous hometown discount uh, to play for his Blues. We'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But uh, Patrick Maroon, the big rig, as he's known affectionately, even by himself, uh, is 6'3", 225 pounds, dwarfing, I think, almost anyone else on this team, but like Colton Barreco. He had 17 goals and 43 points last year with the Oilers and the Devils. And the year before that, he had 27 goals and 42 points uh, playing on Connor Connor McDavid's line in Edmonton. Easy for me to say. Uh, What I liked about just writing that down was that I noticed that he had 10 more goals uh, from last year to the year before, but only one uh, fewer point, actually one fewer point the year before it. So it sounds, I mean, you know, I haven't watched a lot of the game film on Pat Maroon, but it sounds like he's pretty equally good at distributing and, and shooting. You know, he's not going to be an uh, all-star Hall of Famer at either one, uh, but he's just got a nice, well-rounded skill set, reminiscent of a David Backus, I would mm-hmm. say, uh, where he can um, do 
a lot in the offensive zone, a lot more than your typical kind of grinder, beat him up sort of fighter guy, but also does bring that grit element, which is a word we'll use a lot to describe Pat Maroon because there aren't a lot of synonyms for grit, and Brene Brown is very <laughs> important in modern society. I don't even think she's the one that wrote about grit, so never mind. But anyway. No one knows what you're talking nobody about. Nobody does. You know, there are some sociology students out there who are like, I'm, I'm digging on this part of the podcast. <laughs> he called out Brene Brown. I'm all about it. So to Subscribe. you, I say, hello, welcome. This is the two guys, no sociologist podcast. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Joining. Uh, what do you think about the Pat Maroon signing, Ian Peters? <laughs> I love it, Stephen Ground. Thank you. It's a signing that we talked about last time. We didn't know. I should say no. When before before the UFA period happened, we were linked to Pat Maroon a little bit. I think we speculated about it because when we recorded our last episode, it was a good several days past July 1st, and Maroon was the best player still available. Yeah, exactly. And Armstrong had pretty much come out and said we'd love to add him, but it'd take creativity on our part. And so it was all kind of like, huh, seems like these ducks could line up very nicely and that he might be waiting for this team uh, exactly. To make the move they need to make beforehand. So we wanted him last week. We yeah. said he kind of slotted into what our team now looked like after we had traded for O'Reilly and signed Bozak and Perron. Before we had all those guys, I think we had even we were even on air saying, well, I don't really know if we need Pat Maroon. But mm-hmm. I think after all those acquisitions, he fits in really well in what could be a roving sort of top nine role. Mm-hmm. I think he could play well with almost anyone on this team centering him, really. I think maybe maybe not a Braden Shen just because I think you want to put Pat Maroon on left wing and Schwartz is Shen's left wing. So but with a <laughs> I mean they're they're a package Bind, deal. Blinded by the contract written in blood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they are Saskatchewan brothers. Exactly. And they cannot be separated. Tyler Bozak is also from Saskatchewan, but he can get screwed. Yeah, he can eat it. <laughs> but Pat Maroon can play with Tyler Bozak. Pat Maroon, I still think, would be a great winger for Thomas. Yeah. If Thomas centers the third That'd line. That would be great, to have, for one thing, to keep protect Thomas mm-hmm. without doing the, like, oh, we're going to sign Matt Martin for $28 million to yeah. come protect this guy, you know? Yeah, not to turn this into the Two Guys, One Thomas <laughs> podcast. How many Two Guys blank, blank, <laughs> jokes can we make in this episode i think we're gonna shoot for the moon already (laughs) two guys one moon um (laughs) but like i think thomas could do really well with pat maroon i think he's the type of player and i think i mentioned it last time he's not connor mcdavid he's not quite quite he's close (laughs) he's real close um He's not Sidney Crosby, but I think he's the type of player that But could... he's, like, like Bill Armstrong or whoever said, yeah. Tim Taylor, he's got it like that in the bottom half. <laughs> yeah. And his weird broken weird... English. Yeah, okay, sorry. Finish no. your point. I'll stop it. I was just going to say, I think Robert Thomas has the skill set to be able to find Pat Maroon. I watched a lot of Pat Maroon highlights, mm-hmm. and it's him either set up in front of the net for deflection or rebound, or it's him kind of finding the quiet area, namely the back door, and a guy being able to get him the puck. It's back door. <laughs> Go ahead. Job. Okay, yeah. This is what this podcast no, is I about. Agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I think uh, And he um, brings that physical element, like third, you mentioned. A third line of of let's say hypothetically Thomas Maroon Perron. Uh, I know you've talked about it before, mm-hmm. but just like 
that would be I I really think that would be such a what just hit us sort of line with the you know for opposition especially early in the season cuz like you're going to talk about guys like Robert Thomas, you know, obviously if you're a good coach, you're going to be like, "Hey, they've got this kid, Robert Thomas, but he's really good." sort of thing, you know, assuming he is really good. I'm not just trying to blow it out of proportion, but like you're not going to really know until you get on the ice, you know, and that's yeah. the, that's the kind of line that I could see them gelling huge early on and and stealing a lot of hearts and a lot of games maybe, a lot of goals and then like after a time, the league will sort of catch up to it, but maybe that's the right kind of time to move Thomas up in the lineup anyway, and then you can bump Bozak back there or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be really interesting. We'll talk about potential line combinations a lot this yeah. summer uh, and probably later even in this episode. I think my one thing with Maroon is I've seen a lot of people go, well, he'd be a really, really good like fourth liner because we're just stacked top nine, but I think you just you have to put him in your top nine. The guy played with McDavid and Gutslav yeah, I mean, and... P- Players of that ilk, he's got the skill to do it. Yeah, don't bury him on the fourth line. He didn't come here to play eight minutes, and we don't want him to. I mean, he. The thing about that is, like, Ryan Reeves is a really valuable fourth liner type guy because he brings all that grit and physicality, but also adds offensive capabilities. Mm -hmm. I think the difference is Pat Maroon has offensive capabilities that he also adds grit and physicality Yeah, a little bit of the inverse. Um, And that's a little bit of a a technicality, but I think Pat Maroon should be really comfortable. I I think the nice thing about Pat Maroon is, realistically, he could play on any of your four lines. I think that versatility... Versatility? That's not a word. Versatility is very nice. so, yeah, I mean, could he ever play on the fourth line? Sure, in the right, you know, circumstance or if you're trying to get, you know, somebody else into the lineup for a night or whatever, sure, he could do that. But, like, he's going to be really capable of playing on any of your three lines, up your top mm-hmm. nine, and will be especially comfortable, I think, in that middle six. Um, and, you know, he I don't, I don't know how much he's killed penalties, but I imagine – it's something he can do. It seems to fit his skill set, and he can probably be a guy on your power play, especially if you know maybe you're facing a team like uh, the Wild, who have a smaller defensive core, you know, and they're sending Spurgeon and Dumba or whoever out there to defend you. You know, he can kind of push them around a little bit and sort of get in their space. He just brings a lot to the team, you know. That we, I don't want to say we didn't have, but it wasn't centralized in one package. The kind mm-hmm. of size. Grit. I, I hate. I hate how much I've said that word. <laughs> Intangibles, already, like, um, of course. That just whole package of of size and physicality and um, attitude, and then I think especially passion. I think is kind of the part we haven't talked about. Um, he really, really wants to be here. Like I, I believe Ryan O'Reilly will bring a lot of passion because I think he'll see this as like the first really highly rated team that he's played on ever really, you know, maybe in his career. Mm-hmm. And Tyler Bozak, you know, I'm sure I'm sure, you know, you're never gonna convince me Tyler Bozak wouldn't have stayed in Toronto if the money had been there, because that team is incredible. Yeah, for sure. But you know, I really believe when he says something like I came to St. Louis to win a cup, I don't think he's just saying that, you know. So uh, I think we brought a lot of people uh, David Perron obviously has a lot of passion for this team in this city signing here for the third 
time as an <laughs> unrestricted free agent, or second time as an unrestricted free agent, I guess. Um, but Maroon kicks all that passion up a notch. You know, this is his childhood team. It's his dream to play here. He gets to be reunited with his son, all that awesome stuff. Uh, and I think a, a team last year that at times seemed to lack a lot of that passion and a lot of that real will to win. I don't think you're ever going to see Pat Maroon take off a shift, uh, you know, especially not at the Enterprise Center where the Blues have, uh, well, not at the Enterprise Center since they've never played there before, but <laughs> at their home stadium, the Blues have been shockingly hit or miss in the past few years. And so I think, you know, that that specifically may be a, a bonus of Maroon that we kind of overlook. Uh, one of the things I did want to address uh, is the rumors that I think I think have a lot of validity. I, I want to say it was Jeff Ponder um, on Twitter who started these, or didn't start the rumor, like made it up. He, he has a source, according <laughs> to him. But uh, if it wasn't him and it's someone else who's listening, I'm sorry, and let me know and I'll correct it. But um, uh, it just a kind of a conversation about Maroon had, and and I think even Korak and and Rutherford have sort of hinted at it without going quite this to this level of detail. Maroon basically signed here with the expectation, if not something in writing, uh, that they would sign an extension when the extension window opens for him. I think in January. Yep, um, end of January. And when you look at the contract he signed, it's hard to believe that that isn't the case. Uh, even even you know even if even if even as much as I'm sure he wanted to play here, in a summer where like Antoine Roussel signs for four years at twelve million dollars and Ryan Reeves signs for two years at like almost six million dollars, uh, you know Jay Beagle signed the same Roussel contract. Maroon could have gotten a considerable amount more money. And a yeah. considerably longer term and chose to sign here. And you know other teams were interested. I think the Devils were. I think the Islanders were. There's some other teams, I'm sure. Uh, so, I, you know, it's just a rumor. It's just speculation at this point. But uh, I would be very surprised if Pat Maroon is only a blue for one season, barring, you know, catastrophic injury or him just falling off the face mm-hmm. of the earth talent-wise. Yeah, I'm... I guess I would say I'm a little worried about that. I'm not worried at all. I just, I'm always just cautious with extensions. Obviously, I think he's going to have a really good season here. I think he's going to be motivated by not only the possibility of an extension, but just being home and being on a team that really wants him and he really wants to be on. Mm -hmm. You know, no disrespect to the New Jersey Devils or the Edmonton Oilers, but I just think it means a lot more to him. I just get a little gunshot. I'm so much more conservative when it comes. If I was a GM, I would sign nobody ever because I'm just so <laughs> damn conservative. We'll talk with, about one in a minute. Yeah, too, with my made-up money I don't have. Yeah, I mean, I get that element of it. Um, I think it kind of depends on... So the 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 number that, I, again, I think Jeff put out there was a four-year extension, which isn't a pretty good length considering I think Maroon's 30 now, so mm-hmm. we'll be 31 you know, either when he signs the extension or not long after it. Um, but, you know, if you look at the discount he took to play on this contract, you'd think he would kind of take one to play on the next one. Uh, and if you can get him at four for like two and a half or somewhere in there, uh, spe- you know, even if it's four for three, but like I think especially if it's like under that, uh, 
it's still a little bit of a risk. You're giving him good term, but it feels like something that I think he can still work with. You yeah. Because, uh, and I know I know the inverse argument, kind of what we made when when Backus left, is like, well, bigger physical guys break down easily, and that's there's truth to that. But at the same time, Maroon hasn't been at an NHL level. Uh, for nearly as long as like a David Backus was because of his route to the NHL being a little less orthodox. Uh, he has played like seven seasons, I think, now. But, you know, at 30, that's not a lot of seasons to a play in the NHL. Yeah, you're right. Almost exactly half. And game Games-wise, Maroon to Backus. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, and at the same time, you know, he's still going to be 6'3", 225 six years from now. You know, <laughs> so it's not like that's going to end or whatever. True. Um, so... There's some reasons to maybe worry about that less. Yeah, it'll, I think it'll be fine. It's just the one thing when I heard it, I was like, "Ooh, this is the only part that seems a little." Yeah, off. and I, and I mean, I th- I think I hope it's not something that's like predetermined because I'd like to yeah, see exactly. him kind of, you know, try on the sweater and see how he fits into it. I I have high expectations for him, and I'm gonna enjoy wearing that sweater myself. The number but, seven, uh, the number seven sweater yes, that Pat Maroon took. The Keith Kachuk, Red Berenson. And a whole bunch of other guys, Gary Younger, Gary Younger I think, and yeah. other people's sweater. Interesting choice there. I'm a little surprised, partially because <laughs> I thought Patrick. I thought it was like informally retired, but apparently not. It's on like it's on, on a banner and or like on one of the stairwells. I yeah, think, for like what a, <laughs> what a weird like kind of slap in the face. <laughs> well, None these of you guys not, yeah. were good enough to get this retired per se. Yeah, these numbers are all in the rafters, and they're looking down on your number <laughs> that's by the seats. But so are all the people in the nosebleeds. So I have. oh, you're right. Uh, what did Maroon wear in Edmonton? Was it twenty five? I want to um, say it was 25. I think you wore think. 19 somewhere, 19, too. 19, okay. Um, obviously, the option that we all clamored for, Maroon 5, was unavailable because they uh, retired the f- number 5 jersey after Barrett Jackman left. But not for Barrett Jackman, <laughs> which was another kind of weird backhand across the face. Second in the team's history and games played, as we just dis- rediscovered. Uh, but it was for Bob or Barclay Plager? One of the Plagers. Uh, Bob Plager. Bobby Plager, yes. Um, the one thing I like about the Patrick Maroon signing, too, that isn't really have anything to do with him mm-hmm. necessarily, but just that we signed another person, is that I think this makes for really good NHL-ready competition for people like Thomas, who, like we said, I think is going to make it, but especially like a Jordan Kyrou has to really wow you to get in the lineup, yeah. which I think is a good thing. I think he's a very good player. You could probably learn a few things in the AHL too, but I think it just will push them that much more, you know? Yeah. If yeah. there's a spot that's kind of softly open, they kind of know it might be theirs. But if it's a full stack top nine, and heck, our bottom line of like Sashnikov, Yaskin, Barbashev is kind of, you know, set in stone more or less, you got to really push to get that extra spot. And I think that'll help a yeah, lot. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, last year we had depth. But it was kind of like we had a first line and then a whole lot of <laughs> bottom six guys, yeah. you know. And and that's with no meaningful disrespect to anybody. But, you know, you have the Shin, Shin Schwartz Tarasenko. God, that was easy to say. <laughs> uh, two guys, one list podcast. Uh, you had that line. And then you had a couple of other guys that were like, you know, Steam was still here. Mm-hmm. Um 
I'm help me with people. I'm forgetting. We had Stasny for Stasny, the most part, obviously. Yeah, but like you didn't really have a total second line. Steam was hurt to start the year. You know, mm-hmm. Fabry obviously missed the whole season, and then beyond that, it was just a whole lot of Bergwin, Saboka. Uh, Sanford was hurt, but then, you know, Thorburn and, and Barbashev and all these people that Yaskin who were just kind of there and not, you know, again, not to disrespect them, but it was like, none of those guys are going to like take over a second line spot, you know, now it's like, there's, it's the same problem kind of, but in the opposite way of like, oh, we have no idea what the lines are going to be, but only because we have like. 10 players to fit into mm-hmm. a top nine. I mean, our top nine now includes, you know, still Shin Schwartz and Tarasenko. Much better that time. Thank you, <laughs> Good Steven. job. I know. Uh, <laughs> but also uh, Steen, uh, O'Reilly, Favre is in there somewhere, Bozak, Thomas, Maroon, Perron. I mean, those are 10 guys that you arguably expect to fit into your top nine, which is why I still think Robert Favre might be traded, but more on that later. Um, but no, I mean, not not even counting that. You know, at least it's cushion for Favre uh, to fit into the lineup at his own pace if, the, if he exactly. needs to. Um, you know, any of those, Bozak could play your fourth line center role uh, if he had to. I wouldn't say long term I'd want that, especially not at $5 million, but it's the kind of depth you have, you know. Um yeah, so anything more to say about the Maroon signing before we move on to some other stuff? Um, no, not really. I think he's going to be my jersey uh, <clears throat> by this year. New third jersey? I yeah. W- I want to get it, but I don't want to just get the same one as you, so I might get a Bozak or something. We're two guys, one jersey. <laughs> you got to get it. Oh, here we go, folks. Strap in. <laughs> uh, other signings for the Blues, they inked a whole bunch of their RFAs to one-year deals uh, somewhere between, like, I think Dimitri Askin was $1.1 million on the high end. Which and I, some people did not yeah, like. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But at six, I think it was like six fifty on the low-end league minimum or whatever. But uh, they extended Soshnikov, Nikita Soshnikov, uh, Ravi Fabry, Mackenzie McCarkin, McKeachern, something. Mackenzie. You'll never hear from him. M squared. Uh, Jordan Beninnington, yes. Uh, Oscar Sundquist, and the aforementioned Dimitri Askin. Yeah, uh, there were some people that were upset about 1.1 million for Dimitri Askin. I get if you're upset that he's still here. We <laughs> all know that's a problem. But like, he's not going to get less than that. He just ended like a two-year, two million dollar contract. I mean, he's. You expect players who keep playing in the NHL to make more money, and they certainly expect to make more money. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, plus $1.1 million is nothing relative to anything yeah. else. So I mean, I guess as a player, he's a disappointment because he's not Ken Hitchcock's professed Marion Hossa, up-and-coming a Marion Hossa. Maybe we can trade Dimitri Askin to the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> more on that later. Yeah, but I think he's a you fine... Want the other Marion Hossa, John Jacob? <laughs> you Dim- can pay Dimitri Askin nothing to fill the role of the Marion Hossa that you're paying a lot of money to to fill your cap. Works out perfectly. What Sorry, Ken Hitchcock must have seen in Yaskin as far as like a Hossa comparison? The two guys, Infinite Interruptions podcast. <laughs> but what, they must have, what he must have seen must have been like a big body who protects the puck. Well, and that was it. Because there's never been any other hockey Yeah, no one's ever done <laughs> just that. Just those two. But I think he's a fine player. He's fine on the fourth line. 
And he's okay moved up like when an injury occurs in game, <laughs> if that makes sense. But I don't want him moved up the lineup like at the start of the game. No. Like Dimitri Askin's not on the third line no. on Mike Yo's lineup as they're leaving the locker room. <laughs> I mean, he might be, he but on, I hope Is he not. on the blue line or the gold line or whatever Andy Murray says? He'd be on like the gray line. <laughs> no, he'd be on the brown line That's what he'd be on. But I think it's a fine signing. I think he works perfectly well as a fourth-line right wing. Not because they're poopy, but because they're salt-of-the-earth type players. Exactly. They're gritty. brown. They go to the dirty areas. Exactly. There you go. Uh, So, yeah, those were the RFA extensions. And then we had uh, what I would say kind of a surprising signing to me. Uh, The Blues signed their first-round pick, Dominic Bach, uh, to a three-year, I assume, because I think that's what they all are, uh, entry-level contract. Um, I think this was surprising to me just because uh, there's no indication that he's at all NHL ready yet, you know, and not as like an insult. But I just think kinda... he's self-professed or claimed that he already knows he's like two or three years out. Like he's said that himself, yeah. which is, I don't know, very mature for a young yeah, hockey player. Yeah, I think so. Uh, very handsome, by the way. A lot of T.J. Oshie in that kid. I think he's going to be real popular here. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, so it's, it kind of caught me off guard, but, uh, and I think you have some details on this. I think the plan is still probably for him to play in Sweden this year. Um, mm-hmm. At least Lou Korak uh, confirmed that on Twitter, and he's usually right about such things. Uh, what would that mean for the entry-level contract, though? I believe because he's 18... And he was 18 before whatever the cutoff is. I think December 31st or January 1st of this year. I forget his birthday's in February or March or something. He One of them months. Yeah, one of those later months. So basically what it means is if he doesn't play 10 or more games in the NHL in his first year at least or of the ELC, that it's like a slide. So it doesn't start until he starts playing over here in North America, basically. I think that's how it works for him. It would have worked that way if he was in the AHL this year, so I'm guessing yeah. it works that way if he's not even in the AHL this year and in a different league. Yeah. So I think it turns into kind of like a four-year ELC. Which is nice. I mean, it's still, you know, if he says he's two to three years away, it's still a commitment. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know if maybe that was just the logic for Armstrong was say, hey, let's let's commit to this kid. We really like yeah. him. We traded up for him. I mean, what do you uh, look like in the prospects? I, I thought camp. he looked good. He looked really, I mean, he looked embarrassingly good around Jordan Cairo when they were doing three-on-three lines. I mean, that just wasn't fair to the opposition in terms of their speed and skill. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I liked what I saw. I don't want to take that small a sample size and be like, this kid's the next Robert Thomas mm-hmm. in terms of prospect level. But, but for a young guy we just drafted, if he's standing out like that, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good. And I'm guessing this is like a handshake, like, hey, we want to dedicate – you know, some time with you. We believe in you as an organization. Right, and maybe they think he's a little faster to the league than people are projecting Yeah, maybe. Um, And I think the nice thing about getting a guy like that this year is it was kind of the perfect time for the Blues to draft a guy who's like a couple years off, you know, because we've got a bunch of guys who are like expected to make an impact sometime this year or, you know, be in the lineup starting next year sort of guys. Uh, so the idea, and and you traded a two, you know next year's first round pick. So the idea that you have a guy that maybe you're not expecting until 2020 or 2021 is not the worst thing, honestly. Mm-hmm. Some prospects take 
longer to develop, that doesn't mean they're worse prospects. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, they're a little harder to gauge immediately, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily worse just because they're not NHL ready from the hop, you know. Um, did you have more to say about that, or do you want to talk about this Blackhawk embarrassment? <laughs> Let's move on to the Blackhawks, our favorite topic here. Yes, our Two Guys, One Blackhawk podcast, oh, except I think barf. there were like four Blackhawks involved in this trade. Uh, news broke today from Elliot Freeman that the Blackhawks were uh, in talks to trade Marion Hosts' contract to. Uh, it's one of three teams. It could have been the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, who's the other option? I feel Florida like Panthers. Florida Panthers. There you go. Thank you. And uh, uh, or it could have been the Arizona Coyotes. And Stan Bowman, you know, pressed the red button behind his desk, and the wall opened up, and the big spinning wheel came <laughs> up, and he wheel of fortune that thing, and it didn't go fully around the first time, so he had to second spin it, and it was the Arizona Coyotes this time. So I uh, called up John Chica. <laughs> he said, "John, we've got some junk we'd like you to take. You remember that player whose skin got all." weird when he touched the inside of his gloves for some reason for the first time ever ever yeah ever you remember that player who when he stopped playing at an elite level and <laughs> uh still was owed six million dollars for four years just suddenly stopped playing at all uh we'd like to trade him to you and john chaka said great i'd love to do it send me some junk along with him <laughs> uh so the blackhawks traded Marion Hossa's contract, you'll see it written as Marion Hossa, but Marion Hossa, much like Pavel Datsuk and Chris Pronger before him, will never play for the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, man. Um, but they also traded jo- Jordan Osterley and uh, Vinny Henestrosa, who I guess is the pearl in this weird clam <laughs> soup of a druid, uh, and a third-round pick. So the Blackhawks trade again. Marion Hossa, uh, Vinny Henestrosa... I guess because they had to rhyme Jordan Osterley in a third-round pick to the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for, because, of course, Marcus Kruger, uh, Mackenzie Entwistle, who is almost as cool as Mackenzie McKeerkin, uh, Jordan Maletta, Andrew Campbell, and a 2019 fifth-round pick. All told, this year the Blackhawks saved $4.65 million in the uh, deal in cap space, uh, but they also have... Um, Hosa, who had an AAV of $5.275 million uh, through 2021 off the books entirely. Uh, so that's nice. The Coyotes get to pad their cap floor stats a little bit. Uh, Hosa's deal was already con- very conveniently uh, backlogged, so it was only owed him like a million dollars, and there's insurance on it, so they only have to actually pay him like $200,000 or something. Nice. Um, but they get the $6 million in cap space on their books. Uh, so you want to give thoughts, or should I describe the players in the deal first? Um, of course this happened. Of course they just... <laughs> managed to get rid of this dude's contract. Of course. I like to believe when you described the little spinning wheel that came out mm-hmm. to Stan Bowman and it hit the coyote, it was a lot like those old um what sound does this animal make <laughs> spinning thing. And it got and to the coyote. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he was like, oh yes, that means it's the coyote. He doesn't even look, it's just the sound. It's and like... he slapped his hands together like a small child. He was so happy. Um <laughs> That's awesome. I hate that they can do this. That if you're just a good team that we said spreads your unwanted seed <laughs> amongst the lower half of this league, that you can just throw your trash at people. 
Um, why don't you go ahead and describe who's in this trade, though, because the Blackhawks are an interesting-looking team. Yeah, so uh, let's start with kind of the junk at with with in respect. the trunk with the, yes in the trunk and they will be packaged in a trunk and shipped off <laughs> into the desert. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Osterly, what's his first name? Oh, it is Jordan Osterly. There are two Jordans in this trade, but not as correspondent Jordan. He is safe at home in St. Louis. Uh, Jordan Osterly is a 26 year old defenseman who played 55 games for the. Um, Blackhawks last year, which is incredible because I didn't know he existed. Mm -hmm. I guess he's like your typical kind of seventh defenseman type, which means he'll probably be second pairing for the (laughs) Coyotes now. (laughs) Um, Jordan Maletta is a 23-year-old who spent two seasons in the AHL after going undrafted in the OHL draft or out of the OHL, so he's kind of just a body. Uh, Campbell is a Andrew Campbell is an AHL defenseman. Uh, interestingly, the uh, McKenzie Entwistle, um, who the Coyotes sent back, is not just a body. I don't know that he's m- a lot more than that. Uh, but he was a third round pick last year for the Coyotes. He's a right wing, uh, left handed shot who scored. Uh, 38 points with Hamilton last year and added 17 in their playoff run. Uh, So not just a nobody. We'll see if he becomes anything. He's probably, I'm guessing, exactly of that Alex Dabrinkat mold of Nick Schmaltz mold of people that are just small and will score like 45 goals in their (laughs) debut uh, for the um, Blackhawks until they realize they can't afford to pay them anymore. Um, and then the the more significant names here are Michael Kruger, uh, who's returning to the Blackhawks after a horrendous season, uh, possibly one of the worst in NHL history. <laughs> I think he scored like eight goal or eight points for uh, for the uh, so he was traded from the Blackhawks to the Vegas Golden Knights. I think he was drafted along with you know their t- trade sort of thing as as people did to unload parts. Um, and then he was traded through like three days later from Vegas to Carolina. Uh, and then Carolina, in the playoffs, offloaded him onto Arizona. Uh, and I think he was playing at Sweden at some point in there. Um, and then, you know, Arizona shipped him back to the Blackhawks after just a year apart. Because Stan Bowman, if there's one thing Stan Bowman loves more than unloading bad contracts on other teams, it's randomly recollecting Blackhawks from their glory days back into the fold. Uh, so they have Marcus Kruger back. Um, he is owed like something like over $3 million this year, but I think this is the last year of the deal. Um, mm-hmm. He is a two-time cup winner with them in 13 and 15, played like six or seven years for the Blackhawks. So maybe they're hoping they'll catch magic. They will not. Um, and then the kind of the the pearl, as I mentioned, if there is one in this deal, Vinny Henestrosa uh, is a, a decent two-way forward, I think. He just signed a two-year, $3 million contract. He's a right-handed shot, which makes him immediately more valuable than any left-handed shot. I would rather have this guy than Patrick Kane. Or is Book it. it. Yeah, Patrick Kane's left-handed, right, I think? Sure. Anyway, um, <laughs> Vinny Henestrosa had 47 points between the NHL and AHL last year. He's young. He's decent. He will be on the first line for the Coyotes. Patrick Kane shoots left. Thank you. I knew it. I knew it all along because he's real 
Smooth. No. <laughs> All right, so uh, to to kind of give my thoughts on this deal, these these used to really bother me when the Blackhawks pulled off these moves, and now they kind of amuse me because I really think, and I'm not just trying to revel. I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Horse? Good the horse. God. <laughs> what in the name of Southern Missouri just happened there? I'm going to take down Ferdy Fire. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I feel legitimately bad. We're that's, sorry, listeners. That's not me, folks. But if if you say it like that, we love you and appreciate you all. Of course. Uh, of course, of course. A horse is a horse. <laughs> um, the two guys, one mister and one God damn it. <laughs> all right. So, um... I really think it's just done for this iteration of the Blackhawks. I think the door is closed full stop on them being not only cup contenders, we all know that, but even a very good team. I think they will be better than last year, but I don't know if it's going to be make the playoffs better Mm. than last year. When do you think the fork was stuck in them? I really think it was that sod move. I just that was so stupid. Mm-hmm. And I know you weren't going to be able to sign Artemi Panarin, but you should have gotten so much more than retread Brandon Sod for two years of Artemi Panarin. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I think that was a horrible, horrible trade, and I think it was a panic move to getting swept. I mean, what really stuck the fork in was, I guess, the sweeping at the hands of the Predators. Yeah, thank you, Nashville. Where it was like, yeah, where it was like, oh, there's a new sheriff in town, sort of situation. Um, when that was the year we then went on to play Nashville, right, and didn't get swept, I think that was yeah. two years ago, right? So, Blues in the playoffs feels so long ago. So I guess if you if you want to really get technical, then the real knife, the real fork was when we beat him. It was Troy Brower sweeping the goal oh, into the back of the net. Yes, it was all us people. Uh, let's take all the credit. <laughs> we deserve credit for something in yeah, this league. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, so they've got Patrick Kane and and Jonathan Taves locked up for eternity, um, but. They also have Brent Seabook and Duncan Keith locked up for eternity. And those four guys are probably up above $25 million to off the cap just there. Um, they've got to bring Cat, who's really good, which means they probably can't afford to keep him long, long term. And maybe he maybe his contracts work out so that they can sign like a bridge deal and kind of sign him after all these people are gone. But then they have no core. Uh, I just I just don't think it's there. So when they make these moves to sign, you know, to queer cap space, because it's like we've got to compete mm-hmm. and we're going to give up assets, good, young, controllable assets to compete. I just don't think it's there. So I'm kind of like, OK, this makes me happy, you know, and I could totally see them now like finding some weird, weird way to trade for Artemi Panarin and maybe even extend him. But then it's just like, oh, but then it's just sad because it's like <laughs> you're trying to create, recreate something and the magic's gone. They have know? a little over... They're in the friend zone now of being Stanley Cup contenders. You missed your shot. I mean, they they hit their shot twice. Mm-hmm. But like it was a friends with benefits situation uh... and then they tried to make it more and it was not happening. <laughs> and now they're trying to like watch romantic movies with the Stanley Cup and the Stanley Cup's just there to be friends and talk about drama with its new boyfriend, the Washington Capitals. <laughs> and so it's just not happening. 
The, Thank bl- you. the Blackhawks have a little over $9 million in cap space. Do you think they're going to do anything with it? They don't really have anyone to I re-sign. Mean, They've re-signed everyone they need to. What What are the options? They They go hard after Carlson? Okay. I guess. Does... I mean, Eric Carlson, of course, moves the needle for any team, but you add Eric Carlson to that mix, and are they even close to Stanley Cup contenders? No. I'd say they're like a playoff team, but that's it. Like second round, maybe. Yeah. And Eric Carlson's great. Like, don't hear me insulting Eric Carlson, but like... Here's who he has to pass to, forward-wise, for this team, if Eric Carlson's here. I can't even name 10 Blackhawks. He's got... You got Patrick Kane. Can I try to name 10 Blackhawks? So you've got Kane, Taze, Seabrook... Uh, oh, okay. well, just forwards. Just, just do forwards, forwards okay. for me. Kane and Taves, mm-hmm. Marcus Kruger, I suppose. Yep. Alex DeBrincat. Yep. Nick Schmaltz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ar- Artem Anisimov is go. still there, I think. This is a very puck soupian game we're playing right now. Um, who? What else weird bits did they get when they traded Brandon Saad originally? <laughs> Did I name Brandon Saad? I don't think you did. Oh, Brandon Saad. I think I'm... You got two more. One you'll never get, and one that's like... That was weird. All right, give them to me. Oh, wait, wait. Chris Kunitz. Ooh. (laughs) Dear Blackhawks, why? (laughs) And here's the last one. Uh, Dylan Sakura. Oh, baby. 23, so who knows. That's on... Cap friendly, so this isn't like their whole roster, but that's who they have as their NHL roster. How much is Brandon Saad making, and for how long? Brandon Saad is making six million a year for the next three years. What did Brandon Saad do last year? I'm gonna look that up. You look it up. Talking. That's nine players, nine forwards they have. I'm assuming they have a few guys that are two way contracts. Wait, so that's all their forwards that's right all, now? That's all their NHL forwards. Oh boy. So maybe they have prospects they're gonna bring up or something like that, but that's that's a rough they can't start. They have a deep prospect system right now. I don't think they do, and I mean, Brandon I don't. Brandon Saad, in his triumphant return to the Blackhawks last year, played all eighty-two games and recorded thirty-five points. Oh no! Oh, after recording fifty-three. And 52, the three years before that. 53, 53, 52. So I'll give you uh, Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith as defensemen for the Chicago Blackhawks. We all know that. Everyone knows that. (laughs) We're past that. Can you name me the other four? They've got that guy nobody likes (laughs) with a Swedish name. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um... I want to say Anderson, but it's not Anderson. Mm-mm. It's like Liamson or something. It's a son. Very Swedish. Oh, I know it's a son. Olafson? No. I don't want it. Eric Gustafsson. Gustafsson, okay. Uh, and then I'm going to go with a, a big no clue on the rest <laughs> of them. You got Connor Murphy, who I believe they also got in a trade with Arizona. Was it the Yarmolson trade? Yarmolson I trade, think so. Yeah, probably. Uh, Jan Almerson. <laughs> Jan Ruta. Never heard of him. And Brendan Manning, who they they just signed. signed. Decent signing. Decent signing. Well played, Blackhawks. Well of, played. Of the signings they made this summer, far and away the least disgusting one. Yeah. Oh, then they have Cam Ward to back up Corey Crawford when he gets dementia or whatever. <laughs> 
we saw Corey Crawford drive his car into a field, and we can't find him. <laughs> Please help. Please help us find our goalkeeper. He gone. <laughs> it's real bad. And we're taking a moment to revel in the suffering of the Blackhawks because it's well-deserved. But I think, I mean, meanwhile, this division has absolutely passed them by. Mm. Look at any other team in this division. They're all deeper than that. I mean, I, th- I think I think there's going to be this temptation, and we'll have a, a deeper discussion of this when we do our uh, Central Division episode in a couple of weeks, or, well, a month or two now at this point, because <laughs> it'll be the last of the division previews. But, like, there's going to be this temptation to see, say they lost Crawford for a big part of last year. It was mostly a fluke. But they also had to bring Cat come out of nowhere and score like a thousand goals, and he still didn't lift him. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like they couldn't even get it together to like really be. I guess they beat us one of the two games, but like they couldn't just hand it to us at the end of the season. They're just not there. And you look at the rest of this division. I mean, all the blue, all the moves the Blues made, and at best they're the third best team in the division right now behind Nashville and Winnipeg. The uh, the Avalanche are pushing. The Stars are trying to get uh, Carlson, which God forbid, you know. I mean, uh, there's another team in our division, I think, mm-hmm. right? Who is Minnesota. It? Minnesota, they're real bad. Yep. <laughs> they're yeah. real bad. They're the, they're the sinking ship. Uh, but uh, the rising tide does not rise with all those <laughs> in this case. It's but. rising because the ship's underwater. <laughs> <laughs> and it's pushing up the ocean. You That's know. volume, folks. You know how it works. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than Minnesota, they're just, they've just been passed by, mm-hmm. by this whole division. And I just, I really, I could have egg on my face, I suppose, but I just don't think it's there. You can't, you can't win in this league with two really good forwards anymore. And I'll, I'll just, I'll just come right out and say it. Jonathan Taze was never that good a forward. Mm-hmm. He's a wonderful leader. I would love to have had him on my team up until this point in his career. Mm. But going forward, nope. Because leadership don't mean as much when you ain't got nobody to lead. (laughs) But he's a top 100 NHL player. And Evgeny Malkin is not. And that's written in stone, (laughs) folks. That's just the rules. That's just it. Uh, Okay. All right. All right. We've... Oh, no, no, no. There's one oh, more point. Oh, there's more. But no, wait, there's, there's more. one more point I wanted to make, and it's not even our own point. I want to make sure I have this correct. <laughs> it's it's not, not our point. Yeah, it's not even something we came up with. Did you know that the Blackhawks' breast, be, breast, <laughs> best <laughs> prod, prospect, <laughs> good lord, <laughs> according to their second city hockey site, is 2017 first-round pick Henry Jokey Hardju. <laughs> I don't believe you. He scored 37 points for the Portland Winterhawks. He's the best defensive prospect the Blackhawks have had in a long time. Who is this? Time. Uh, Why do I, <laughs> I care about I this? I told you. you Henry Jokey Hardju. <laughs> no, but what is... He? And Dylan Sakura is their second best prospect, apparently. Oh, okay. So, like, you haven't even heard of these guys. Ian Mitchell, like, these are nobodies. No. You know, I'm just trying to establish that they don't have, like, this deep mm. prospect pool either. This is a point that the Steve Dangle podcast has made multiple times, and I would like to make it because it's more pertinent to us. The Blackhawks are in our division, Patrick Kane is a three-time 30-plus goal scorer, and that's it. 
That's all of the times? Yeah. You're telling me he doesn't score 40 goals every single season? Granted, the one, one of those 30 plus goal seasons was 46 goals. I'll give you that. But one of them was 30, one of them was 34. What was it last year? Last year's was 27. I'm just saying, I'm thir- three times this, thirty this goals for. Like, this isn't like three that times. thing where like you're like, well, Bryce Harper's never had a hundred RBI season, and you're like, what? And then you look at it, and it's like, oh, but he's had ninety eight three times, and he was injured the rest of the mm. times or whatever. Like this, this is baffling to me. And I realize like he gets high twenties, twenty eight, twenty seven goals is still a lot, but that's like a. That's like Braden Shin had that last year. And you're not talking about Braden Shin like he's freaking Patrick Kane. For how much? He doesn't get yeah. Gatorade commercials or rape people. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, <laughs> I had a thought in my head and it the lost it. The two guys, it. one went there podcast. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh about that. But he's a no. bad person, probably. All the, all the indications <laughs> are there. Um, this is probably like... A really easy comment to make. Uh-huh. And Take ver- your pot shot. Do it. Well, it's not a pot shot. It's just, like, obvious. If Patrick Kane doesn't have three cups, he's a very good winger. He's very good. But he's is, not, like, talked about nearly as much as he's talked about today. Is there actually a difference other than Stanley Cups between Patrick Kane and Evander Kane? Oh. Because I don't think there is, now that you've made this point. You're yeah, right. I think you're right. <laughs> Let's look. I've got to look at a Vander. Okay, stats go ahead. Now. We're throwing an audible. We're playing it loose. <laughs> the two guys won audible. <laughs> <laughs> People have turned it off oh, by now. For sure. Welcome to all our new listeners who are now gone. <laughs> <laughs> the two guys, zero listeners <laughs> podcast. Uh, Evander Kane had twenty goals. 29 goals this past season, 28 the season before that. He had 30 goals in his third season, and he's been high teens a lot of the rest of the time. So not quite what uh, what Patrick Kane is, but he's also only, still only, like some disgusting, 26 years old. So, wow, yeah, I mean, it's just, that's very interesting. I really hadn't thought, ever heard that. And it's it really is like you you win a cup and you're just gl- you're in glory now mm-hmm. you know like I saw I saw a list today we retweeted it and I didn't even put the guy on blast but it was like a list of eleven or so ra- kind of random it was random in the sense that there were guys on there like Kucherov who were like top 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 tier NHL playoffs and then there was players and then there was like Matt Duchesne and it was like. Of these 10 or 11 players, if you had to cut one or two, who would you cut? And, like, William Carlson was on there, so that was, like, the that was the chip shot answer, mm-hmm. obviously. But, like, uh, I don't remember why I raised all this now. <laughs> <laughs> what did I transition into this point to say? That Patrick Kane's a bad that player. Patrick Kane belonged on the list. It's gone from my head. Oh, it's he just, lost it. It's just my only, gone. My only point is Let Patrick think Kane. About it. Great winger. Three 30-plus goal seasons. Yep. That, that's it. That's all I'm going to say. Yep. Take it or leave it. I mean, you have to take it because it's fact. That's but, like, fact. you could just leave that. You can leave it, but it's fact. Okay, we can move on. 
Now transition. I really want to think about what that point was, though, and it's, like I said, just gone. Mm. Uh, let me think. Let me see it. The, let me look at the list and see if it occurs to me. It does not. It's just <laughs> gone. Okay. Well, sorry about that, folks. I'm sure it was a great point. Maybe it'll come back to me. Anyway. We'll tweet it out. Speaking of players who are probably overpaid, Connor Hellebuck signed. Uh, for six years at $6.1 million with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I looked at this and was like, no thanks. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So Connor Hellebuck, let's talk about some stats. Connor Hellebuck is 25 years old, and he finished second in Vesna voting this year, recording a 9.24 save percentage and a 2.36 goals against average, along with six shutouts. I believe the last two stats were both Jets franchise records, which six seems low for a year, but I don't know, maybe not. However, in the season before that, oh, and I should say, he had a 924 save percentage, league average was 912 for this past season. He had a 236 goals against average, league average was 278. So pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. The last season, the one that we had just before this last one, like it was this season and then it was the one before that. Because, like, the the season before last, he had okay. <laughs> 56 games with the same percentage. What would you guess? It's not in the eights. Okay. I, didn't, I wasn't going to guess eights. <laughs> what, 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 what do you think of as, like, league what he have respectable this, save What did he percentage? have this year? 924. That's what he had this year. Uh-huh. So the season before this year, last season, <laughs> as you... Illustrated so to me, said. he. Um, I'm gonna say a nine, nine oh eight. You are one point high. It was a nine oh seven save percentage, and I think of what like nine fifteen is like pretty good. I'd say nine fifteen. Your goalie is no longer your problem. Yeah, nine ten is like average ish. Yeah, and it goals against average of two eighty nine. Not. Horrible. It's it doesn't start with a three, but it wouldn't take much to get there. (laughs) League average was nine thirteen on the save percentage and two fifty nine on the goals against average. So below. So worse on both of those. Considerably worse, I would say, on goals against average. But goals against average, you could say, of the two, is more of a system problem. Yeah. My point is, uh, one last stat. Quality starts, I learned today, are also a thing in hockey, and they are defined as a goalie start where the save percentage is higher than the league average on the year. Or, uh, in the case that they face less than 20 shots, is higher than 88.5%, which I guess is... One, two goals on a I sec. like that stat. We, yeah. we should hang on to that one. Yeah, no, I, I liked it a lot, too. I'm glad I discovered it. To skewer certain goaltenders. <laughs> We're coming for you, Jake Allen. <laughs> the hard thing is, can you, I guess you can track league average as it goes on. It'll probably yeah. shift a little bit. But a rolling case. average. Uh, Hallibuck made 39 quality starts this year. Uh, in like 54 starts. So he had a, a percentage of 609%. I guess it was more than 54 starts. It was like in the 60s. Last year, he made 25 quality starts in 53 games, making his percentage 472, which meant more than 50% of the time 
He was not a good goaltender. He was a bad goaltender. (laughs) All I'm saying is he had a really good season. And he's been a prospect whose name you knew for a while. But it wasn't that long ago that it was like, oh, Michael Hutchinson and Connor Hellebuck are both good goaltending prospects for the Jets. I wonder which one will take the job. And Michael Hutchinson, as far as I know, doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Rest in peace. So my, my only thing is, I just, the, the six years really troubles me. The years is what's weird. The six I think million, more than anything. He, it puts him at like, I, I think I have this tab open here. Yeah, so the $6.1 million makes him the sixth highest paid goalie in the league. Also feels like a stretch. Carey Price, Henrik Lundqvist, Sergei Bobrovsky, Tuka Rask, Pekka Rene are the five people ahead of him. And discounting age as part of that equation, I'm probably taking all five of those above Connor Hellebuck if I need a yeah. goalie for next yeah. season. I really, like, right? I mean, I am, right? Right behind him is Braden Holpe, just won a cup. Corey Schneider, that's one that you can be a little like, hmm, he's had a couple of down-ish years, but he's still pretty good. And then Corey Crawford and Simeon Varlamov round out the top ten. It just troubles me. The six years especially, even Mm -hmm. the six million troubles me. I mean, it doesn't trouble me because, like, Best case scenario, it's a terrible contract, and the Jets are just stuck with it. I mean, with no ill ill meaning really to Connor Hellebuck as a human being. I'm sure he's fine, but like, I just I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? I've talked a lot. Yeah, it felt like a just a weird signing. It's a lot for not a big body of work. Not a big body of work that's impressive by any means. If that was a Blues signing, I wouldn't like it at all. Yeah. I mean, I would hope that he continues on this trajectory or stays steady, but I don't know. Six years is a lot. Six years is a lot for a goalie. It is, and it is eerily reminiscent I think, of the. Right? It feels yeah. a lot. I mean, he's 25, so he's young, but like, it is eerily reminiscent of the Jake Allen signing, too, in a sense that it's like, oh, this guy was a pretty good prospect, and he was up and down for a long time in the NHL as kind of a like backup or a starter that you didn't really call, consider your starter because you had a solid number two. <laughs> I did not laugh at solid number two. Uh, but um, you sign Allen after his first pretty good season. I, mm. And granted, Con- Connor Hellebuck's season last year was not, quote, pretty good. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But also that team was so good, and I just, like, I'm not sold that Connor Hellebuck is the goalie. He's probably a pretty good goalie, but I'm not convinced that he's the goalie. And if he's not the goalie, this becomes really bad really quick. Yeah. Like, let's, if he returns, let's say he returns to the year before that. The not this past year, but the season before this. It past looked season. like this season, but it was the one before it. <laughs> when he had the nine oh seven and the two eighty nine. Yeah, that's you. Can't, you're terrified if you're a Jets fan because it's like, oh, if this is the real Connor Hellebuck, we have him for five more years. I get. I think six more years. I think the extension doesn't kick in until after this year. Maybe. Okay, so he doesn't. So he wasn't like an RFA this year. I don't think so, but let me look it up. I okay. may be wrong on that. 
what I was thinking, and then this might all just be crap because he was a RFA this year, but if he wasn't, I wonder if the thought process was we want to sign him to this now because if he has another amazing year coming up, mm-hmm. then we owe him like... That bastard Armstrong's going to offer sheet him. We owe him like a million and a half more or something. Thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. If he has a bonkers year this year and they haven't signed him to a new contract, maybe he makes like seven or seven point five, which would be I lied, it does start next year. So. Okay. So that but that I mean that's an interesting thought. Obviously that same logic applies with like a bridge deal. Mm-hmm. What I would have liked to give Connor Hellebuck though is a bridge deal. It's worth the risk. If you you're not gonna pay him carry price money. You've got that as like a nice like floater to be like, okay, you're not exceeding this because this was a ridiculous contract even for Carey Price. So you can say two years, seven, even if you need to go up a little bit, like two years, seven million. Yeah. And I'm, then... I'm surprised you wouldn't take something like that because then if you do amazing in those two or three years and then your then contract's up, yeah, for you're going to make so much money. You do your eight by whatever, eight by eight even, and that's the rest of your career for a goalie because then you're like, you know, 30 four or five and that's the end of your career ostensibly you know mm-hmm. so i don't know very weird signing to me could be great i mean if he's this if this is who he is it's a steal mm-hmm. and that's how the sports net article i read about it was like oh this is a hugely tem- team friendly deal and it's like yeah if it works out perfectly <laughs> you know but in any case uh Let's move on to what we meant to talk about in today's episode, which is the St. Louis Blues, a uh, team you might have heard of. It's not this team, but it's like another team. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we had kind of a grand vision for this podcast. I had kind of a fever dream. That's what that really was. Yeah. Where we would talk about <laughs> kind of just what's happened to this team since... Well, 2015, but like since the the conference final season, the transformation this team has undergone in the two-ish years now since then, two years Mm -hmm. since, you know, two years and a month or two since that final ended, that conference final. Um, Because I think think what happens is when the things are happening piecemeal and slowly and you're kind of stuck in the mire and you have a crappy season like last year and it just feels like it's never going to end sort of situation like you don't really notice all the parts that are moving around you you know necessarily Mm. and so I thought it'd be fun to go back and just kind of look at what the team was that year in the conference final year and what it's become now and how much different those are and then just kind of talk about like how do we feel about comparing the two teams you know does that sound good to you? Do these pre-agreed <laughs> conditions sound good to you? Sounds fantastic. Excellent. So, um, the 2015-16, the 2015 offseason, basically, uh, was the year... I mean, I, I think the writing was on the wall a little bit, maybe, because the TJ Oshie trade happened, and it was kind of the big final, like, yeah. we're fed up. Well, yeah. Go ahead. I was say the 15... 15- Two guys, even more interruptions <laughs> podcast. Well, I just say the setup was, maybe I missed it, was that the 2015 season, we were Ended the, in disgrace. We were the better team than the St. Louis Wild, or the St. Louis Wild, ugh, than the Minnesota Wild, led by Mike Yo, and they stymied the Mike Blues. Mike Yo. Yeah. They, I don't think they played a trap game, but they pretty much had an answer to any tactic Hitchcock <laughs> had. Every time I hear trap, I'm just <laughs> like, oh, trap music. <laughs> But, like, 
I believe the Blues had like one strategy because it was a Ken Hitchcock run team. So there was one strategy, and it was a crappy. And it was a bad one. It was a 1999 strategy. Dump and chase. And then we lost, and it was a bad bounce in the first round. Yeah. Like I mean, we all hate when the Blues lose in the first round. It's often we know a lot of different scenarios <laughs> in which it's happened. Can happen many different yeah. ways. But that one usually was, in six games. That one was bad. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so it was especially bad. Thank you. That's that's helpful context. And it was kind of like this is the final straw. We've got to do something. So Doug Armstrong did something namely probably <laughs> still the worst trade he's ever made um trading tj oshi for troy brower and pieces i think there was a third round pick which maybe became evan fitzpatrick you want to look that up for me what yeah pick did we became? get copley and phoenix copley okay. yeah and troy brower um phoenix copley who we would later flip as we'll discuss um the blues then signed uh uh, that was the year they signed a weird bevy of like journeyman veterans and a couple of them stuck and a couple of them did not. <laughs> uh, but, but the two that stuck were Kyle Brodziak and Scotty Upshaw, both of whom had a couple of really great years here. Uh, Scott Gomez and Martin Havlat. You remember how they were both blues? I remember how Martin Havlat played one game and scored like a game winning goal or something and then was like no thanks Just I'm <laughs> i'd like to believe that i think was... it, i think it was hitchcock in hindsight oh, really? i think it was probably like oh i'm not playing for that dude at all because wasn't he like even at the time he was like the fits just not right on the team sort of situation yeah i re- i would totally believe like if now he was like oh yeah i could not play for that I guy. thought it was going to be like a real true Ryan O'Reilly move where like he scored the goal and he's like nah I don't feel it and just like <laughs> he's like I got no love for the that game. That could be too. Screw it could it. be that that'd be kind of interesting. Um, this one threw me for a loop because this feels like an affinity ago an infinity ago but uh, Barrett Jackman left prior to the 2015-16 season signed a two year four million dollar contract with the Nashville Predators uh, to ostensibly mentor Seth Jones, as you pointed out to me earlier. And then they traded Seth Jones and said, thanks for your services, Barrett. Goodbye. And Barrett <laughs> came back and retired as a blue and is still part of the organization and is beloved by many. Rookie of the year, Barrett Jackman. Suck on that, Rick Nash. Um, and, and then Henrik Zetterberg. Oh, yeah. In the same year. <laughs> I'm so happy you won what Barrett. I want to I want to watch like every game from that season sometime and just have like a like the lighted up puck spotlight on Barrett Jackman and just be like, what did they see? How did a defensive defenseman? I mean, I think he may have had like a highest point total yeah. in his career, but still, like, how did this guy anyway? That should be a thirty for thirty. That would be fascinating. I would how, watch it. How the Barrett Jackman <laughs> just steal be titled this. How. Yeah. <laughs> What if I told you that this made no damn sense? (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, The Blues kind of plot the course for their future, signing Vladimir Tarasenko that summer to his eight-year, $60 million contract. Still one of the better contracts in hockey. Kind of an embarrassment, actually, when you think (laughs) about it. When you look at the bad contracts that he signed, say, at the same time, signing Tarasenko's good buddy Yori Laterra for a three-year, 14.1 million dollar deal gross mm. um 
God, that's bad. It sends chills down your it's spine. Still it's still not so good. Um, and then the Blues drafted Vince Dunn in the second round that year, which seems like it should have been longer ago than that. Uh, Adam Musil, Nico Mikola, and Luke Opielka are the other prospects we drafted that year who you might have heard of. Uh, they ultimately play that season to a 49-24-9 record, putting them second in the Central and second in the West, both behind Dallas, I think, which is weird because mm. we played Game 7 in Dallas, right, that yeah. year? So it was behind Dallas. Um some statistical notes from that season. That was Tarasenko's 40-goal season. He had 74 points. Uh, Paul Stastny led the team with 39 assists in his second season here, I think. Yeah. That would have been. What do we get him in the summer of 14, 14? Yeah. I think, yeah. Yep. Um, Colton Pareko records a plus-minus of plus 28, which I know plus-minus isn't. A great stat, but that was his first year here, and so that's doubtlessly one of the reasons we were so excited on him. Brian Elliott is second in the league with a 2.07 goals against average, which is as ridiculous a sentence as if I'd told you I'd just put my phonograph on full blast and listen to, like, Frederick Chopin. It's like an old-timey sentence. Did you use Frederick Chopin in a different podcast episode? I feel like I remember Did that. I? That sounded very specific. Interesting. I'm on to you. <laughs> I'm on to all your unplanned Frederick Chopin references. No more of that. Also not sure his first name is Frederick. I think it is, but who knows. And then um, Elliot and Allen split playing time that year, starting 38 and 44 games respectively. And of the top 10 point scores for that year... Five of them are no longer on the team. Would you care to name them, sir? Mm, <laughs> nope. <laughs> what year are we talking? 2015-16. Five of the top ten point scores. Okay. That's easy. Bacchus? It's not as easy as you'd like to think. Uh, oh, it is. Bacchus? Okay. Oh, now it's already hard. <laughs> um, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't cheat. I know, but I need, I need to think about this. Bacchus. Just by looking at the name. Yeah. Stasny. Uh-huh. Obviously. Um, <laughs> Berglund? Nope. Is this what? Top five? Five of the top ten. Okay, five. Okay. Uh, Bacchus. Stasny. Already Stasny. said him. Oh, was was Laterra up there? Oh, he was. Oh, weird. oh, he was. Would you like me to tell you the other two? Yeah, Kevin Shattenkirk, okay. and Troy Brower, all in the top ten points for that. I season. guess that makes sense. I would have forgotten Kevin Shattenkirk of all people. Yes. I, it feels like he's, he's been gone very for forgettable. ages. It feels like he's been this gone for ten seems years. So long ago. There are times when I think about life and I'm like, "Oh, it's just passing by in the blink of an eye." And then I look at this and I'm like, "No, that was an eternity ago, like a literal eternity." Um, they beat the Chicago Blackhawks in seven games off probably the greatest goal in the Blues history, which is kind of sad, scored by Troy Brower, which is even sadder. <laughs> uh, then they went on to beat Dallas in a seven-game series that should not have been seven games, which resulted in the weirdest end of the series because we just 
brief to them in Game 7. That was so and satisfying. And watching it was like, it was satisfying, but it was so disorienting, too. That's what I mean. I was like, I don't get it. Are we just going to move on? You sit down, and you're, like, terrified, you know, because we're all Blues fans. We're all expecting the worst. And then it's, like, 3 nothing, and you're like, what? And then you're still kind of like, but this is the Blues. They'll blow it. And then it's, like, 5 nothing, and you're like, I think it was yeah. It was still. It was something like, like seven to two final or something, right? I think it was like six two because yeah. they scored two, and I remember it being like four to one. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh, this still isn't <laughs> enough goals. This isn't <laughs> enough goals for me. Only a Blues fan would be that friggin' broken. Uh, but you're right. And then we lost uh, in San Jose in six games in no small part part due to the fact <laughs> that we had to uh, play seven game series as each of the rounds before that. But it was far and away the best playoff performance of the, let's name it for lack of a better term, David Backus era of the St. Louis Blues. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of disappointment for a lot of times. And you can never call a conference final exit a disappointment necessarily. Um, unless you're the Vegas Golden Knights next year, because <laughs> screw us, right? Uh, no, but yeah. So I mean, I think I think that was our that was the peak. And what I don't think we realized at the time was that that was like the peak, but it was just the cliff was just right there. <laughs> um, so after that season. Um, David Backus, Troy Brower, and Steve Ott all would leave in free agency. Backus to Boston. Uh, David David did the bit bit bit. Doug <laughs> Armstrong did not want to give him the fifth year on the contract. Good call, Doug. Yeah, well we done, love you, David. But oh, what a bullet dodge there! <laughs> uh, Troy Brower goes to Calgary. Also a bullet dodge, but not. In this case, because Army wouldn't have paid him the same amount. Brower just wanted to go to Alberta. Uh, and then Steve Ott just played the final year of his contract, or final year of his career, for a different team. Um, and then the, the Blues at the draft traded Brian Elliott to the Calgary Flames for a second-round pick. Do you want to talk about Brian Elliott's tenure with the Blues for a second, for like mm-hmm. a split second? Yeah. We made that man 17.6, like I forget the exact decimal point, million dollars. We signed him to a one-year deal that was basically, hey— uh, come compete with Ben Bishop for a season. And from that point, he has made 17 plus million dollars <laughs> in his NHL career. So you're welcome, Brian yeah. Elliott. You had a stat that was positively absurd about him. Why don't you discuss that? Yeah. Brian Elliott, I believe, I want to say, holds like the shutout record for this team. If not him, it's Jaroslav Halak. It's him or Halak. It's him. Okay. Then Halak, then Allen, I think. Which is kind of uh, telling about how hockey shifted, but also there may be another guy between. That's Allen true. And so Brian Elliott played 181 games for the Blues, which actually seemed kind of low to me, but which is impressive, even more so when you consider that he had like 35 shutouts or something yeah. in that time. So yeah, what is that? That'd be like a sixth of the games <laughs> he played was a shutout. He had in his time here a career average 0.925 save percentage. That's even more ridiculous than the other thing you told me. Oh, yeah. And then his goals against average in those 181 games here was a 2.01. That's I love Brian Elliott. Love him to death. He was a product 
of this system. system. And the system is righteous. Yeah. Which brings me to a quick point I will make. There is no one better in this entire league at tabbing journeyman backup goaltenders who will fit into this system and making them superstars and then shipping them off than Doug Armstrong. So if you all have any concerns about Chad Johnson and his, like, .714 save percentage last year, <laughs> don't. He's going to be great. He's going to be so good that you're going to, in a year's time, you're going to be like, no, you can't let Chad Johnson yeah. leave, <laughs> and I promise you we can. Yeah. We definitely can, because then we'll just bring in, I don't know, um... What's that? Uh, what's the guy who used to be uh, in Detroit that's been everywhere? We'll bring oh, in Peter Mrazek, yeah, and it'll be like, sure, you're you're Brian Elliott now or whatever. And then we'll have to debate whether or not Mrazek is better than Allen, <laughs> yeah, exactly. or if we need to ship it's out be one every of them. Year and then Huso will come up and be pretty good, but kind of an Allen in a different way. He won't just lose his mind, but it'll just like be inconsistent at times, and it'll just keep going. Three headed monster. Um. Brian Elliott, since leaving, not so great. So, <laughs> not, not great. I don't got to redo the stats. Not very good. <laughs> I've seen them. Not Oof, good. Not good. Uh, we get Jordan Cairo for Brian Elliott, and we deserved it, as we you did. said earlier. We made, a, we made chicken salad out of a journeyman, not very good goaltender. Yeah, goalies don't really have a big return when you trade them, unless they're just like carry price. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be the top. I'd say five goaltender, maybe even top three to return like something good because they're just so up and down. Mm-hmm. So like for Brian Elliott, what the Blues made him, what we made him, there was also we I, deserve. I that think a conditional rounder. third in that trade if they'd extended him. I, I assume was the condition because probably we didn't get it and they didn't extend him, so that made the most yeah. sense. We pulled the wool over also, their eyes. Also, do you remember like how there was like a conditional second in the Kevin Shattenkirk deal if they made like the conference finals or something? That was never going to happen. Not yeah. to not to no, that version of the Caps. Not until a year later when they won the Cup. <laughs> not to that not to that version of the Caps. That version of the Caps never got out of the second round. Yeah, I, I was like, this is a throwaway pick. <laughs> when when was it, is Brian McClellan? Is that their GM's name? Yeah. When he put that in there, he was just laughing. He goes, "We're not going to make like, it this far." That's what you need, Doug. Done and <laughs> dusted, buddy. <laughs> You need a second-round conditional pick, and you need Zach Sanford in this trade. Let's be let's be completely like honest. Even though we I've never heard this before, but it seems pretty straightforward. The Blues wanted like Jacob Verana oh, in that of trade. Of course, everybody would. Have. Yeah, and the Zach and they Sam- probably should have gotten. Him. Yeah, Zach Sanford was like. The consolation prize, and I'm going to say the consolation, consolation prize, because we probably asked for who's the other guy, uh, the Burmistrow. other Russian. Or, no, uh, no Burkowski. Burkowski, thank you. Uh-huh. That was probably our second ask. Wasn't yeah. even reported for a moment that he yeah. might be in the deal? Yep. Yeah. Look, he wasn't, guys. I feel bad Here's for Zach Sanford. Here's how it went. We go in hot and heavy. We're like Burkowski in a first. They're like, Burkowski's a roster player. Get out of here, Doug Armstrong. And then we're like, okay, well, you got to give us Verona. And they're like, he's our top prospect. This is two months of Kevin Shattenkirk. He's not even all that good. And he's like, okay, but I have to have Zach Sanford. And like you said earlier, they were like, all right. (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, no, actually. Oh, Doug, you're twisting my arm here. But I guess we'll give you Zach Sanford. Uh, 
we'll get to that trade, although it's been discussed. In that <laughs> offseason, we signed Carter Hutton, two years, $2.5 million. Uh, David Perron, two years, $7.5 million. In what was possibly the most depressing day as a Blues fan ever. I was driving through the backwoods of Virginia. Avs correspondent Jordan and I were on a trip to Civil War battlefields because we know how to party. And we were <laughs> trying to like tune in on the radio because we had no cell reception or like things would just pop up occasionally because Virginia's radio is not covering NHL signings any damn way. So when we got like into a cloud of reception, it'd just be like, David Back is gone. <laughs> Troy Brower gone. And the Blues have signed David Perron, who I now love. Mm-hmm. Very much with at all the my time heart though. At the time, it was such a slap in the face. I mean, we hit the highest peak we had been on in so long, uh-huh. and then, and then like this was what gone. happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we signed those two, and we trade for Niall Yakupov right before the season. First overall pick, Niall Yakupov, now returning. It was to an Russia. interesting. It was. I was, was excited about the deal at the time. I really was. I remember it distinctly. It didn't pan out too much. Uh, we extended a bunch of people that summer. Uh, Scotty Upshaw got a year. Kyle Brodziak got two. Uh, Jake Allen signed for four years at $17.4 million, which is eerily similar to the Yori Laterra deal, uh, but not quite as bad, I hope. Um, <laughs> Jaden Schwartz, five years, $26.75 million, just stealing from him, Doug. We've got a couple, like, we can talk about all the bad contracts Doug Armstrong has signed, and he has, but we've got a couple on this team that are just like, what happened to you guys? <laughs> what did your agent do? And didn't Schwartz, like, hold out a long time on the contract before this? So, yeah. like, how'd this one get signed? I don't understand. They've got um, pictures. They've got pictures on them. Alexander Steen, speaking of the baddish ones, four years, $23 million, but it's heavily front-loaded, so we can just unload him on John Shake in a season or two. John Shake is going to hang up the phone on us. We've never we've never won a cup. Yeah, you're not Stan Bowman. I don't know you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> never spoken to you. Because Who are you're you? a GM that's not Stan Bowman. And then three bad ones. I uh, said Steen. Patrick Berglund, five years, $19.25 million. Yikes, but not our problem anymore. And Vladimir Savoka, three years, $10.5 million. Yikes. Pack your shit. But not our problem anymore. We drafted Tage Thompson, Jordan Cairo. Evan Fitzpatrick, Tanner Kaspik, and Nolan Stevens, among other players who you care less about. I think Nikolai Krog Christensen was that year, too, the great NKK. Um, the Blues had a so-so season and fired Ken Hitchcock on February 1st. Uh, Doug Armstrong cried. It was a big ordeal. Hitchcock had gone 24 and 21, but it had a long losing streak. Mike Yo took his place and carried the team to a preposterous. I had, I knew it was good, but reading this made it ridiculous. 22, eight and two. We lost ten games from February on, and two of them in overtime. Ridiculous. Mike Yo, greatest coach of all time. We've heard it we've always said it yeah. here except since we're on the subject <laughs> mike yo has a daughter named brayden 
and a son named Kyler, and I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> First of all, because Mike Yo does not seem like that, I'm just going to pick whatever for my kid's name sort of guy. Like, I would have thought he'd have a son named Mike and a daughter named Michaela. That's the kind of guy I thought he'd be. <laughs> but he's got Braden with two E's in there. We'll leave it to you to figure out where the second one is. And Kyler, very kind of... I, I, if you told me you're, you're, you had a boy and a girl and they were named that, I wouldn't know which one was which. Yeah. Uh, so that's my one beef with Mike Yo. Uh, also, I'm not sure he's a great NHL head coach, but we'll discuss that <laughs> another time. That's number two. Moving on. Uh, after the signing of Mike Yo, even though the Blues are red hot, the uh, Blues trade Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, it was a deal that was delayed for too long. Probably this was a missed opportunity for Armstrong to get more. We all know, everybody knows that if he just signed an extension, we'd have Taylor Hall right now. That's old news. But he probably could have gotten a lot more for a full-year rental of Kevin Shattenkirk. Maybe even Jacob Brana. But alas, we got Zach Sanford because we had to have Zach Sanford in a first-round pick. Um... Given what the first round pick became, not the worst deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the season ended 46, 29, and 7. We were third in the Central and fifth in the Western Conference. We beat the Minnesota Wild in five games in the first round that year. Remember how Jake Allen mm-hmm. just stole a series? I was like, series? credit where credit is just due. Straight up stole a series. And I think that was. The big thing in the second half of that year was like Mike Yo's arrival coincided with Jake Allen just becoming like a golden mm-hmm. god. And I think Brodeur was brought into the coaching staff at the same time officially. And, yeah. and Jake Allen's confidence just went through the roof and he became a golden god. <laughs> I'll remember that first game against Minnesota in Minnesota super well because they just peppered the hell out of Jake. He held on for dear life, and then we won, I think, an OT on, like, an Edmondson goal. It was, like, shots, though. Like, yeah. It was ridiculous. It was, like, Edmondson goal. We had no business because winning. Because Barrett-Jackman wasn't there to score playoff yeah. overtime. It had to winning. be some other BS yeah. defenseman that had no business. <laughs> and that crowd was so pissed, oh, and I yeah. was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> you hate the Minnesota Wild, with good reason. But I'm still. slowly growing softer for them because they're so bad. They're just bad, but... When they're good, yes, girl. Uh, <laughs> they went on to lose in six games to Nashville. Not embarrassing considering they swept uh, the Blackhawks before that and were the cream of the crop and maybe still are in our division. Um, some statistical notes. Tarasenko scored 39 goals this season. He and Schwartz both led the team with 36 assists. Allen won 33 games. And then... We get to this year, which was a disaster. <laughs> uh, we lose in the off season. We lose. End of story. <laughs> we we the desperate, the heart wrenching loss of Yori Laterra. Ryan Reeves leaves the team, which maybe left a bigger hole than we expected. Ty Ratty departed. Did you know Ty Ratty was here before this very last season? Because I didn't. Oh, didn't we? 
get rid of him and bring him yeah. back. Isn't that what happened? We like put him on waivers. And Carolina took yeah. him, and then they put him on waivers, and we took him. I think they is what even happened. they even said something silly like, "Well, we didn't like want to do that the first time." So when he came up on waivers, we were so happy to get him back. And, and I was like, "Oh, let's shut up, shit, can him again." Yeah. who cares? And then David Perron departs in the departs in the expansion draft. He'll be back, folks. Don't you worry. Don't you worry about a thing, baby. Yes. If you love you it, set it free. Exactly. <laughs> and if it comes back, and it's meant you... to be, right? Is <laughs> that how it goes? Sure. Yeah, I'm a poet. Um, you didn't even expect that that would be the outcome of your sentence. <laughs> We're off the rails, folks. It's official. We should get like a train sound to put on when we go. (laughs) It's gotta be like a crash. It's gotta be like a crashing train, Uh, though. Yeah, we'll have to find that'll be a tough sound. Just put crazy train in there. (laughs) There we go. There we go. We are crazy. Uh, We traded a 2017 first round pick, which was 27th overall, and a 2018 first round pick, which, spoiler alert, ended up being the 14th overall, along with Yori Laterra for Braden Shin. Got in a long debate with someone about how the Blues got fleeced in this deal. Obviously is nonsense, but hey, he's entitled to his opinion mm. and we're entitled to be right. Um, Chris <laughs> Thorburn was signed for two years at $1.8 million. Bo Bennett, Nate Prother, and Mitch Reinke were the other signings. Man, one of the interesting things about this exercise to me is you look at the last couple of years and how boring our free agent signings were. And then you get to this year, it's just like, what happened, Doug? What did you do? He got fed up. He did. He sure did. Um, Colton Pareko signed his five-year $27.5 million extension, and we extended or signed a whole mess of prospects that year, uh, including Robert Thomas and Clem Costin and others. Uh, we drafted Robert Thomas and Quim Costin <laughs> and others. The others <laughs> included the Alexei Torpchenko and David Noel uh, and other people. And then uh, we sucked all year. No, we rode off to an incredible start. It was 10-2-1 in October, 7-5-0 and in November. So I kind of remember thinking, oh, October and November were pretty good. Not really. November was like, meh. And October was great. Maybe it was like the first half of November was real good, and the second half was like not so good. But in any case, uh, they struggled in February, particularly 4-8-1 and one in February, including a six-game losing streak uh, that led up to the trade of Paul Stastny. We did acquire Nikita Soshnikov for a fourth-round pick before that from Toronto Maple Leafs. And then we traded Paul Stastny to the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, kind of shocking move of deadline day, I think, but not a shock to us because we predicted it on a hot take. So get bent all you haters. <laughs> We're getting real we aggressive. so many haters. <laughs> have you ever said someone say that so jeerfully? Mm. We have so many haters. <laughs> Bill Hader. Uh, yes. Uh, the rest. John Heater, who I'm sure is just the same name in a slightly different mother tongue. Um, the Blues send Paul Stastny to the Winnipeg Jets in exchange for, stop laughing, Eric Foley and a first round pick in this past year's draft, which ended up being 2019, or the 29th overall. This past year's draft ended up being the 2019 draft. Um, so yes, we did that. The season finished 44, 32nd, and 32, and 6th, uh, 
our power play was awful. We were fifth in the Central, ninth in the West. We missed the playoff by a point. No need belaboring any of those points. Braden Shin scored 70 points. Jake Allen went to the dark place for a big part of the season, had a 275 goals against average, and a three and a uh, 9.06 save percentage. Very similar to what Connor, Connor Hellebuck did, not this past <laughs> season, but the one before that. Would you like to give Jake Allen a 6x6 six six contract year after next? I don't think so, so there you go. <laughs> Case closed. Carter Hutton had a 2.09 goals against average and a 9.31 save percentage in 26 starts, 32 games played, so he took over for Allen eight times gross uh he led the league in both of those categories for people who had started 26 games or more uh but was not had not played enough games to warrant you know award consideration but he was great and then we come to the summer of doug this past Mm. year Kyle Brodziak out as a free agent. Carter Hutton out as a free agent. Patrick Bergwin, Vladimir Savoka, and Tage Thompson all traded in the package that netted Ryan O'Reilly. We bring in Tyler Bozak, David Perron, and on and on and on. Uh, Chad Johnson, Ryan O'Reilly, and the latest signing, Patrick Maroon. What do you think about all uh, the stuff I just said? Everything. It's great. Um I always wonder if that, and I think it's true that you said four, eight, and one stretch in February mm-hmm. of last year. How that, much did that change everything? That for this team? yeah started this team on the upward trend. I yeah. thought it. I mean, it got worse throughout the season, <laughs> and it but, gets worse. <laughs> but I thought it was going to get worse, maybe into this season. Mm-hmm. I really thought the season was going to be bad bad yeah i really 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 did before any before we even got to ufa talk where people were like oh we can trade for this guy we can sign that guy i thought this was going to be the bad year like the one that had the one that would basically lead to what happened this summer like the full turnaround mm-hmm. but to doug's credit he managed to do that a step earlier and i loved seeing us trade stasny because you could already tell he was in that mode. He's like, well, if we're not good enough to make the playoffs, I love that quote he said. It was like, I don't inform the players of what's going on or what I should do at the deadline. They inform me. Like, if uh, they're not going to play well enough, I'm not going to go out and help them. That an awesome quote. Yeah. And I think that that kind of, I mean, the famous now gif of him, at least among Blues fans, of him uh, standing up in disgust at the mm-hmm. end of the like second-to-last game and just turning away from the game and just... I mean, just as as much of a picture of disgust and a reaction gift as you gift yeah. as you could possibly I would have. Pay thousands of dollars just to hear like the minute of thought process as he stood up. Oh yeah, like just of like I'm gonna get rid of this dude. Like any, of, <laughs> I'm sure it's people still on this team. Even he's like yeah. Alex Steen gone. Like Jake Allen gone. Jay Bomeister, he's injured. I don't give a shit. He's gone. <laughs> like just yeah. thinking like, what the hell can I do with this crap team? Yeah, exactly. I we, mean, we ended that season there were injuries but we ended with a lineup that was tarasenko schwartz um let me see i got it here i got the wrong sheet schwartz tarasenko shen berglund disappearing braden shen he scored five goals in the or five points in the past final three games of that season who disappears when the chips are down as but I, who as said I was that? told on uh, twitter this week i was like no one else is in that this. debate with the person who said we got fleeced anyway go on we got 
for the yeah, this is the last game of last season. Our lineup was Schwartzen, Tarasenko, Berglund, Brodziak, Steen, Yaskin, Sabotka, Barbashev, Sashnikov, Sunquist, and Thorburn. Like we had mentioned before, that's like a bottom nine. That's like a top three and a bottom nine. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. No second line to speak of, barely a third line. He managed to take that, granted there were some injuries in there, and switch that into Schwartz, Shen, Tarasenko, Perron, O'Reilly, Steen, Maroon, Bozak, Fabry coming back, Sashnikov, Barbashev, Yaskin. Like, oh, in one, in what, like two months? Yeah. I mean, I get all this stuff happens in one day because that's how the NHL offseason works, more or less, or yeah. within two weeks, but like, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and well, it wasn't, it wasn't, Two weeks ago now, I mean, it was probably like 15 days ago where we were talking about, like, Ryan, this team is not a Ryan O'Reilly away from even being good, mm-hmm. you know, because at the time, and, and it might be hard for you to remember it, Blues fans, but at the time, people were saying you have to get Ryan O'Reilly. He changes this team, trade Robert Thomas for him. And I'm not judging anyone who said that. That's not my place. But, like... uh it was just we weren't there, and you can tell. I mean, the proof is in the pudding of how much Doug Armstrong did. Hmm. You know, he yes, he was freed, and I th- I think let's take a moment in a minute to talk about Tom Stillman. But like, yes, he was freed to spend to the cap, and he said that, and he really did it. And yes, you know, there were good players available on free agency, but you don't sign three top nine free agents. And make the blockbuster trade of the summer if you don't think your team needs tremendous help, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, and so the proof was in the pudding there, but, like, imagine if we'd just gotten Ryan O'Reilly and nothing else. Let's say Ryan O'Reilly and Pat Maroon. Like, let's say we'd done those two things. There would be a lot of what I would say would be false hope for this mm-hmm. team next season. Because, I, I mean, you, you probably you make the playoffs with those changes, maybe. I mean, you missed by a point this season. But, like, um, yeah, it's just we needed such an overhaul, and we got it. I mean, that's what's incredible. And I think, you know, again, toot my own horn a little bit, but I wrote an article talking about uh, what all Army's done. I mean, that's kind of where the germ of this discussion came from, was writing this article. And... When you look at just the the bulk of all the moves he's made and who's come in and out, I wrote it in there. Um, Let me try and find it real quick. Um, So since the Shattenkirk trade, so this doesn't even go all the way back to Oshie when we were talking about. We have sent out Kevin Shattenkirk, Phoenix Copley, Yori Laterra, Ryan Reeves, Paul Stastny, Vladimir Saboka, Patrick Berglund, Tage Thompson, a 2017 first-round pick, a 2018 first-round pick, a 2019 first-round pick, a 2017 second-round pick, and a 2021 uh, second-round pick. And we've brought in Zach Sanford, Braden Shin, Oscar Sundquist, Eric Foley, Ryan O'Reilly, a 2017 first-round pick, uh, which was the 27th overall, so that was on both sides. That was an oversight there, but we traded it. Uh, the 31st overall pick, which became Clem Costin, the 2018 first-round pick that became Dominic Bach. I mean, that is a huge shifting. No, I, w- I, I don't know this, mm-hmm. but I would wager a comfortable guess that no other team in the NHL, other than obviously Vegas, who doesn't count, would come close to having that much 
overturn in the same two year period. It particular like literally anywhere close. You know, mm-hmm. you trade, uh, you get rid of a top four defender, um, like you know, f- six of your middle six basically uh, of forwards, and you add two top six forwards and a whole bunch of prospects basically in the process. It was, I mean, it's just incredible how much this team has changed. And like you said, talking about like this year could have been the really bad year. I think it really could have because we're talking about this team with all the moves they've made and we're still not going gangbusters and being like they're top cup contenders now because that's not what they are, but they're just a good team that should be very fun to watch this Mm -hmm. year. And that's huge. That's hugely different. Yeah, this could have been... A terrible team. We talked about a few. <laughs> we talked a lot, and I don't know if, if we mentioned it all on the podcast, but this was one that was going to make or break this team. If Doug didn't do enough, it was probably going to be. I know he just signed an extension, but it was probably going to be his head. You know, I still think if they they didn't make the playoffs last year, if they didn't make the playoffs this season, that at very least Mike Yo would be gone already. Uh-huh. And maybe they give Doug Armstrong one last chance at a coaching change. But even then, I'm not entirely sure. That might have been a clean sweep for both of them. And I think he knew he had to do something. And I'm just surprised that it seemed to have he seemed to have a vision for it this time. We've mm-hmm. talked about how sometimes he's sort of just gone out and gotten like a good player or someone that like the league goes, yeah, that's a good player. But like, do the blues need that player? Mike Hoffman for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. Linked to things where it's like, Oh, he's the biggest, I guess, trade piece out there. That's going to move for sure. Mm-hmm. And the blues need a guy who can score. So there you go. Yeah. Done. But does he fit the culture? Yeah. And I think what I've seen a lot is a culture of, overhaul of this team more than even the players that are in or out look there are questions about ryan o'reilly's personality i'm not qualified to answer them because i've never met the man but i think i really earnestly believe that he's coming here kind of reignited from having been in buffalo for uh three years now or whatever however long he's been there and all due respect sincerely to Buffalo fans, but it has to have been hell <laughs> to be I, yeah. there for three years. And on top of everything else, I'm sorry, but you have to live in Buffalo during the winter, and that's not pleasant. It's I'm I I love winter weather, and I love big old waterfalls, and Buffalo has <laughs> both of those things in Chicken spades. wings. Exactly. But, like, that's <laughs> not, like, if you're already miserable with your play on the ice, like, if you're miserable but you're playing for the Panthers, at least you're like, hey, I can wear shorts to the stadium or whatever. Like, if you're miserable and you're playing for the Buffalo, it's all, for the Buffalo Sabres, it's all bad. Mm. And so now he gets to come here. He's, you know, they've built the core not around him, but, like, this whole offseason still hinges on him as the, like, centerpiece move, you know, not, no pun intended with the position he plays, (laughs) but, like, you know, he was the big move, and then these other guys are filling out the roster, kind of. So I think he's recharged. Tyler Bozak, we talked about a little bit before, I think. I mean, of of course he would have gone back to Toronto. He's played his whole career there, and if they had a spot for him, he would have gone there. I'm sure. I'm not. I'm not delusional, but I also wholly believe that he's fired up to come here, 
you know, and maybe mm-hmm. get out of the shadows of the Marners and the Matthews and the Tavares's and whoever and get a chance to maybe prove that he's more than a third-line guy, Kadri. You know, he's had to be behind Matthews and Kadri for two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick Maroon, we've already talked about, obviously, and David Perron also loves this city. So, like, and with with O'Reilly and Bozak and Maroon specifically – I don't, it was weird to me hearing them talk about winning the cup because I feel like I don't hear Blues players talking about that. Maybe I'm delusional, but like, I don't, I, I know Tarasenko's talked about it when he wrote his player Tribune piece. He talked about how badly he wanted to win a cup for St. Louis, but it doesn't feel like that's the, you know, we do this or we're a failure goal of this team. And if you bring a couple of guys who look at it that way, it can really change your culture, I think. Hmm. I I feel like this team's gonna be maybe one of the most motivated teams we've seen. Yeah. In a long time on the ice, I hope it is. Like you mentioned, I think it's guys that want to be here. I think it's guys like Maroon that are local that are just gonna be happy to be able to be around their family more. Uh-huh. But it's gonna be sort of a comfort level. And I've seen some people say when we sign Maroon or when we were thinking of signing Maroon that, you know, I think maybe there were rumors on Twitter. It was like, well, he doesn't want to come home because. Supposedly, it was like a, the comfort level was a bad thing. He didn't, you know, it wasn't like he's was going to be at work when he's, you know, gone. And when he just, you know, comes home to visit, that's his little vacation time. So they were going to mix it together and it was going to be weird for him. I completely disagree. Pretty clearly not the case yeah. with how he's reacted. I mean, that was one of the many, like, weird Twitter rumors when he hadn't weird signed hot yet. Takes, yeah. But I think he's going to be super motivated. Ryan O'Reilly's going to be super motivated. I think they talked to O'Reilly. Um, Strickland did for like the Blues website. He's smiling ear to ear the whole time. Yeah. One thing. He looked super happy. He's supposed to be this big sourpuss who doesn't like anybody. I've never, either. I've never, I don't know Ryan O'Reilly that well. You, you mentioned it. Neither of us really know him that well. <laughs> um, but I've never seen that part of him. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just missing something. He's a perennial Lady Bing contender. I mean, he's not an a a hole out Why there. Why did the he world. get traded from the Avalanche? Was it wasn't it just a money a contract? Thing? That I mean, it was a it was a. I think there were sour grapes because he signed the offer sheet with the Flames, but ultimately it was a contract thing. It was a they money had, thing. Yeah, they had Stastny at the time. I think. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe they didn't. No, I think they did. But at at the very least, they had Duchesne and McKenna yeah. at the time. Um, and I want to say other potential centers, and Ryan O'Reilly was getting paid too much and was too valuable and, you know, was at a kind of different career stage than those guys. And I'm sure, look, some of it I'm sure could have been personality if he has a bad one, but I don't think there, you know... He also wore an A. Right, and he's not, you're not, you're not just a cancer. Like, Doug Armstrong does his homework. Yeah. He openly said he wasn't going to trade for Matt Duchesne because he didn't like his personality. Yeah. It's not. I mean, he said that publicly. Uh, he he openly talked about how he couldn't go get Mike Hoffman after the stuff came out because, you know, he didn't mm-hmm. square this circle for us, but because Alex Petrangelo is your captain. Yeah. And Alex Petrangelo had, you know, a heartbreaking miscarriage last year, you know. But he he doesn't, he takes that things into consideration to a huge extent. Yeah. For how much he wanted to overhaul this team and make this team better, he's not going to like take a risk on a guy and be like, well, this could just blow up in my Especially face. Especially when so many of the problems the last few years have seemed to be locker room motivation problems. That's, that's a good point. You know he's doing his homework. That's what I wanted to say was like, I really think a lot of these guys, and for some reason I just think of Braden Shen. I don't know why. Maybe he's kind of like the weird alternate captain that doesn't have an A. I feel like a lot of these dudes 
gel well with Braden Shen. That sounds like a weird guy to maybe like focus on. Yeah. But I feel like an O'Reilly, a Maroon, a Bozak. For sure. I feel like that's a big O'Reilly has history with yeah. Shen. I think Bozak, I mean Schwartz, they're both from Saskatchewan. Like, that feels like a big group of people wonder, that are gonna get along well I, together. I wonder if you know, Braden Shen, we've all talked yeah. there was all the to me, nonsense about like we just need to make Braden Shen captain because he had that one fight that one time and he talked to the guy who sat on Petrangelo. Like, but the flip side of that coin is Braden Shen did emerge as kind of a leader on a new team last year. Mm-hmm. And if if you think that guy can be the leader of your forward core, it's it's not going to be Tarasenko probably because he's soft spoken. Um, and you know, I. It's yeah. not a real thing, but foreign-speaking players often don't emerge as your leader. Yeah. Partially because there's just a language barrier there. As good as Tarasenko's English is, it's not as good as a native English speaker, yeah. you know? I'm wondering... Uh, Schwartz, I don't know if he's a leader leader, and he's kind of crazy. I mean, he's a wonderful <laughs> player, but, like, there was that article about him last year, you know? Was it Washinsky or whoever wrote it? About like the <laughs> the village hall stuff, and which they, seems like an eternity to go too. I think Shattenkirk said something about they gave him the role. Shattenkirk used to read out the lineup mm-hmm. as tradition before they left, and then they gave it to Schwartz when Shattenkirk got traded. Mm-hmm. And Shattenkirk jokingly said they didn't know if, if he could Schwartz read. could read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I mean, but but. All of that is to say you can look at a guy like Braden Shen and be like, okay, we're yeah. building our forward core, not around him because you're still building it around Vladimir Tarasenko, but like he's the guy that's going to make this thing work yeah. from a chemistry standpoint. I don't want him to sound adversarial. Especially but with Steen aging and yeah. on his way out, who maybe is doing that to better or worse yeah. effect already. I don't want it to sound adversarial, but it's like more of like if all these guys get along – it's sort of like you're in or you're out. We've got like this group of people that are going to work together. You're going to work with them right. or we're going to find somebody who does. And that brings up a point I wanted to make because when you were talking about how motivated all these new guys are going to be, yeah, the old guys better be double motivated because Alex Steen is an example, not to pick on him, but Alex Steen, Robbie Fabry, Dimitri Askin to a lesser extent, the guys who are holdovers – for several years, not just Braden Shen, but holdovers for several years from the quote-unquote old regime, have to look at all these new guys and be like, oh, they just committed to these guys. Mm-hmm. If we suck this year, it's not Tyler Bozak's head who's on the block. It's not Ryan O'Reilly who's moving out of here. It's me. You yeah, know? exactly. And, and, and unless there's someone who really wants out of here, they're going to be like, oh, okay, I'm the one whose ass is on the block now, basically, whose ass is in the jackpot to cope to quote that MLB umpire. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll explain it on Twitter. No one sometime. does. But in any <laughs> case, um, yeah, and so, you know, does that motivate all those guys more? The defense is untouched because they're really good. I mean... We kind of forget li- about them back You'd there. like to be a little more certain about what your third pairing is, but it's also they're your only going to play nine minutes a night with yeah. the two guys that are in front of them. Uh four guys that are in front of him. Edmondson's extension still needs to be done, which means I think there could be another minor trade of like a salary dump sort of thing. Um, They still have to sign Schmaltz too. Yeah, I think technically. So we've got like three million in cap space. You're not getting both of those guys under that. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Edmondson makes three billion at least. I would say four if it's a, if it buys out any UFA years. Yeah, if it's longer. Um, 
so you probably make a small, you know, a small cap clearing move, but that's that's not really the point. The point is to say like it's a total team overhaul. And I think as fans, to be fair to what Doug Armstrong's accomplished, we kind of have to start from square one. And I think we kind of want to start from square five in the sense that we want to be like, okay, we got all these people. Let's hit the ground friggin' running mm-hmm. and just take over this conference and division now. It's a whole new team. I mean, it's not the Vegas Golden Knights a whole new team, but it's a whole new team. When you train four of your top nine forwards and get rid of two of your longest... Well, Savoka wasn't longest mm-hmm. tenured because there was that weird gap there, but Patrick Bergwin was like the fifth... What You looked it up. He was sixth. like sixth on the yep. all-time Blues game played list. You get a Robbie Fabry back, who was out all year. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned it. I mean, there's so much. And so it kind of, one of the things I wanted to sort of look at was like, this team on paper, Braden Shin, Jaden Schwartz, Vladimir Tarasenko, those guys, the new guys, all as a unit, just on paper, because that's all we can have about especially this team now. Mm-hmm. Do you think the roster is stronger right now than the 15-16 roster was going into the season? I feel I feel better about it. And let me say, it's it's hard because you can analyze the individual pieces without knowing what the team really is. We had a better sense of what the team was as a unit. Mm-hmm. going into that season and yeah. you had a little more certainty because you knew what Elliot was in goal and you knew what Hitchcock was as a coach, which was an asshole, but a pretty good coach. <laughs> um, but yeah, what I mean, what do you think about the team as a whole? Well, yeah, I'm more excited for them, I think, just uh-huh. because of the turnover. You get excited with new names and everything. But like you said, it's hard to judge what this team is as a unit because we just haven't seen it yet. We didn't even mention Robert Thomas that whole time. <laughs> We're going to try not to. We're going to try and make him like a sneaky addition, even though we've just talked him up so much on yeah. this podcast. Maybe we won't mention him until September. That's not true. We'll We're going to mention about him today. next podcast. <laughs> next podcast, um, yeah. I'm more excited for this team, but I don't know what it is quite yet. You know, as a unit, like you mentioned, but I also, I don't know. I think this team might have maybe, I'm not going to say like a rough, but just like a little rough patch at the beginning. I was going to say a rough October, but that's maybe not the case. Just because I think they're going to take it a little while. It starts hot and heavy for them, too. They start yeah, with it's Winnipeg, a, they play Chicago like eight times in the yeah. first week or something. So for as excited as people are, I think there's going to be a little learning period because we've got what is it, four new forwards and then a Fabry that's rusty and then maybe a Robert Thomas who's never played in the NHL before. So it's like, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of a big difference that a couple preseason games where you don't even ice NHL players until like the second to last game uh, isn't going to smooth out anything. I think that playoff team in 2015, was it 15? With that said, if I may interrupt, yeah. I would much rather have a team start Rocky and find their rhythm. Oh, 100%. Yeah, even 100%. If we, even if we had made the playoffs last year, it's much more fun going in that yeah. direction. Are we talking, we're comparing this to which team? 15-16. 15-16. Okay. I think that team looked complete. Like there was a first line, there was a second line, and there was a third line. And you knew exactly who they were, and that third line was killer. That was Brower, Stasny, Fabry. Mm. That was a killer third line. 
because we don't really know what these lines look like on this new team. No clue, by the way. I mean, no clue. There's a lot of good options Uh on Twitter. I've seen a lot of really good options. There's a lot of bad ones. I've seen some really terrible takes on these lines. Just because there's so many right options doesn't mean every option is right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The one that worries me, and I've heard lots of people talk about it, and maybe it's all right for like a week or two, but talking about like rolling... Thomas out on the fourth line, it's just not acceptable. I mean, if you're going to bring him up and play mm-hmm. him, you, for one thing, you have to. Let's talk about that one more time. He has to go back to juniors if he's not in the NHL, and he cannot. He cannot go back to juniors. It would be a waste of a year. So let's get that off the table. He's on the team. There's no question, barring injury or just like a cataclysmically bad preseason, he's on the team. So that's question number one out of the way. But, like, you can't break him into the NHL by playing eight minutes a night against grinders, you know? I mean, I just don't think that's very beneficial for him. So you mentioned the question to me uh, earlier this week of, like, would you rather see him at the wing on the third line or at center on the fourth line to start? And I wanted to say center on the fourth line, but I think you're right. It should be the wing on the third line. Like, he needs He just needs time, yeah. He needs center for the beginning Mm -hmm. i do not want that all season i don't even want it through like christmas or thanksgiving Mm -hmm. but if you just need to find a spot from day one injuries will sort some of this out it's inevitable i'm not hoping for it and nor am i prescribing it it just will happen somebody's gonna get injured in that group yeah and then pieces fall into place the nice thing is now, instead of losing a, a Jaden Schwartz and saying, hey, maybe Sammy Vlay is a first-line winger, now we can <laughs> say, hey, maybe Pat Maroon plays on the first line for a while, yeah. and that's better. I think that's true. I danced around your question a lot. I think, to answer your question, that this team has a lot of potential to be better than that 15-16 team. I think there's a lot more pieces, as you just said, that can move around to complement each other. It's obviously yet to be seen, but I think there's more potential there. I think the 2015-16 team, everyone had to fit into that almost exact role. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Troy Brower was not playing the first line. Yuri Latero wasn't playing with anyone other than Vladimir Tarasenko. There's a lot more room for to experiment and find the right fit. Yeah. I think probability-wise, they'll be really better. that's a good way to say it. And what I'd really love to see is, you know, Mike Yo doesn't do it as much as Ken Hitchcock does it, but still plays with the lines a fair amount. And I am fine if we see a different line lineup pretty much every night through November. But then by December or January, I want it to be pretty much the same from then mm. on. I, th- I want... There's so many options. It's just natural to say, hey, which of these guys works... Who has chemistry? I mean, you have to pretty much know Shin and Schwartz are together, but that's like the yeah. only given. Well, that's what Armstrong's talked about is finding pairs. Uh-huh. And so Shen and Schwartz are one. You just wonder who they'll obviously have to try things out. You know, who does Bozak match up with? Who does if they keep O'Reilly I could at really center? See, like, I could see trying. I would at least like to try Bozak on those guys' other wing. Mm-hmm. because maybe it works because, you know, they all do know each other. They are all from Saskatchewan, and that doesn't inherently mean anything, but it could mean they something. Have a, a psychic connection. You know, Steen 
you don't know who he has chemistry with. Maybe he finds a ton of chemistry with Ryan O'Reilly. Maybe he finds a ton of chemistry with Tyler Bozak. Maybe he does with Robert Thomas. Maybe he works on the other yeah. wing for Shannon Schwartz. Tarasenko, you now have three to four legitimate options to be his playmaking center, and he only needs to find chemistry with one of them. You know, mm-hmm. like it worked with Yori Latera once. So it one of these guys they can work else. with. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, there's so many exciting options. What I'm saying is, to to your point about the 15-16 team, find what it is eventually. Settle yeah. the question eventually. Take time. To me, the season is almost, like, especially the first half of the season, is almost a trial run for the second half of the season. Mm. Like, our preseason to me is, like, the preseason through Christmas. And then it's kind of like, from then on, you yeah. just figure it out. You Playoff know? push. And the nice thing is then, you know, maybe you're a team that makes a deadline acquisition for once. Or maybe you, you know, have an extra asset or two that you sell off. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe maybe Jay Bomeister comes back and is, you know, and this is wishful thinking a little bit, but it looks really healthy. And you're like, hey, Jay, you don't belong on a third line. We can get it you know, a, a second round pick for you or whatever. Maybe you trade a guy like that. There's a lot of options, but I think the options are exciting. But like you said, we should prepare for probably a little rockiness at the beginning. And that's fine. That's okay. They don't have to be playoff ready on October 6th or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Are there other things to say? Have we said them all? No, I think, I think we're done. Okay. Except for Pat Maroon. Had Five. a had a uh, oh, seven. <laughs> Pat Maroon had a bit on the Blues website where um, Cam Jansen drove him around because everyone has to interview people while driving now. now. Yes, thanks Jerry Seinfeld, you've <laughs> ruined it for everyone. And they talked about just you know the sort of canned stuff. Are you happy to be back and happy to see your son and you know happy to be on the Blues? But then they talked about for a moment. The uh, power play dance and Towel Man. And Pat Maroon said, and I've heard this multiple times, that Towel Man and the Count absolutely demoralizes other teams. They hate it. He was on the Oilers when we beat them like 8-2 to two last year uh-huh. or whatever, and he said it was like just awful. <laughs> Conversely, the other team has a ball and laughs at us when we do the power play dance. So I plead with you, St. Louis. Does he really say that? Yeah. That's awesome. Let your children do it. If you're drunk as hell, go for it. I'm honestly don't not a fun police. Go ahead, do the power play dance. I hate it. <laughs> it's gotta stop. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not crossing my arms and just staring at people angrily like a six year old man. The song. You know what? That's you it. Play Amsterdam by. Nothing but these, yeah. and that whole place is bumping. I'll say that. I'll go back. I'll backpedal a little. The dance is fine. The song has been there since 1994, I'm yeah. guessing. Probably. <laughs> I don't think I'm wrong. It was invented before electricity. <laughs> yeah. Can we get like a Dua Lipa? Can we oh, get like a... Can we please? Well, I don't even know how you'd fit that Rule in there. Rule one. Change the power Our play. Of song. <laughs> Rule two. Change the power play. Make it a Dua Lipa song. Rule three. If you're scoring on the power play, you ain't getting over the power play. 
It's settled. There yeah. you go. Uh, you had an interesting stat before we move close this behemoth. Oh, did I? Uh, about the team. <laughs> I'll just lead you all the way down yeah. this road. No, I turn right. it I got it now. I got it now. <laughs> Until I just give this yeah. stat for you. So we had kind of mentioned, I'm guessing this is what it is. Our forward group at the very end of last year was not good. It was pretty not much a bottom good. nine. Yeah. A Schwartzschen, Tarasenko, and then just nine other people. Well, to be fair, like 13 other people that you oh, kind of yeah. selected nine from. Yeah, you just... Basically at random. You rolled the bodies in. <laughs> we had Schwartzschen, Tarasenko, Berglund, Brodziak, Steen, Yaskin, Brodziak was your second line yeah. center, and Berglund was your second line wing. Barbashev, oh. Sashnikov, Sunquist, Thorburn. Those were all people Play in that it. Avs game. Oh, no wonder we lost. Are you kidding me? <laughs> How was? I mean, no one was shocked, but I had a little hope. I should have never had any no. hope. Um, those players over the I course... I don't think, for whatever reason, I could not watch that game, and I think it was just so merciful. I was, like, out of town or something. Mm. Oh, it was good for you. Oh, it was so bad very, for the rest of us. For me. <laughs> those forwards career for goals scored per game or whatever like Schwartz is a point three Tarasenko is like a point four two add those all together to get the sum of them you have a 2.23 goals per game so like that's what you expect from your forward core this year if you go off of O'Reilly and Perron and Bozak and Maroon all added that shoots up to a 2.73 exactly a 0.5 goals per game increase from just your forwards it sounds like not a lot because it's like half a goal, but that's pretty significant. Well, think about the inverse for a goaltender. We talked about it with Connor Hellebuck. Two point, let's say, what were the numbers? Three, three mm-hmm. goals against average. Really good. Two point seven three, not so good. Exactly. Two point eight three, not so good. You know, so like you creep from like being closer to scoring just two goals a game to all of a sudden being a lot closer to scoring three right. goals and a that's, game. Like, that's a big difference. That's, and it averages out. That's how averages yeah. work, is they're the average of stuff. But, like, <laughs> when you more often than not score two goals a game, your offense is not good. Mm-hmm. When you more often than not score three goals a game, your offense is decent. You mm-hmm. know, and it's not, you know, I'm sure there are some teams that have it even closer to three, but I wouldn't think there are many that have it over three Mm. and so yeah that's a huge change i mean that's huge i would love to see and we can look it up for next time what that number is on the powerpoint too because that was so bad last year and i think that that's that will be one of the real watermarks Mm -hmm. for mike yo because their his powerpoint numbers his entire career have been bad and if the powerpoint is bad this year he's just got to be gone i mean he really does i don't i don't mean to be that brutal but like that's on him. Like, if this team can't have, I'm not saying best power play in the league, but if this forward group can't have a pretty good power play, let's say top 12, that's I, not a stretch. I, I was going to be even more generous. Give me, is this even top true? Top half. Give me top 20. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Give me 20th or better. I mean, if this power play is an embarrassment by any means, he's got to be gone. I really think he has to be gone for there's that so alone. much talent that you can't have because that. like look there are good teams that fire coaches after good seasons you mm-hmm. can fire a coach after a first round exit if it's not there we have to have a guy who can coach a power play 
you can't win without that long term. So that would be a big high water mark. That's something we should really pay attention to this year for sure. Yeah, but we shouldn't dwell on the negative. This has been a fun, happy episode. Yeah, and we're very excited. Uh, next week, we're really excited to um, two do weeks. Two weeks, yes, excuse me. No because, false hope. Because Mr. Killjoy over here wants to go every other week. <laughs> no, it's it's a mutual decision. We we've decided <laughs> we've decided as a family. <laughs> no, there's uh, not enough. The, the reality is there's not enough that goes on in the hockey offseason. We've carried you as far as our willpower alone can carry us. Instead of getting weekly 30-minute episodes, you get bi-weekly or bi-monthly. <laughs> Two hour plus episodes. Which would you prefer? I think you prefer what we vote give now. You, so, um, but in any case, uh, two weeks from now, uh, we are going to do something called a prospect pyramid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is basically a definitive two guys no cup approved ranking of the Blues prospect. But it's not a traditional ranking. Uh, if you want to know more about what it'll look like, you can just uh, go to YouTube and search Prospect Pyramid. I think Steve Dangle originated the idea. Yeah. So uh, look for one of his videos. So that's our plan. Um, we have other exciting stuff planned for all of you this summer, including hopefully some visitors to the podcast. <laughs> From other plants. <laughs> real uh, weird. Um, you wanted to say something to people. Would you like to say that? <laughs> Man, you're you have so many words and now you're running out of words. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say we've saw sort of an uptick in just listeners, and I don't know if it's just from um, sort of getting out there on Twitter and getting our name out there and talking with other podcasts, which we're extremely grateful for to have the connections with. But we just wanted to say thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for tuning in to just two guys rambling on about a team they love. And we appreciate you. Two guys, one long, yeah. incoherent flow of stream of consciousness podcast. Mm-hmm. It's just getting worse through the summer. <laughs> we pro- I promise it gets tightened up a little during the season. Gets. Here's the thing I will promise you. If the team is good, it will be tight as hell. Oh, they will all be taught. 57 and a half minute episodes. It'll be perfect. If the team is as bad as they were parts of last year, no guarantees. Yeah, all bets are on at true. that point. But I just want to say thanks for listening. Uh, we did this. We're still doing this, obviously. <laughs> but I say we did this is just kind of fun. And it's, it's fun to see where it's grown and... We appreciate yeah, you giving us the time of day. I agree with that. We we had no ambitions for this podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had ambitions, and I want to be like, mm, yeah. just throw a dart at the wall. But <laughs> we had no define like this is what we want this to become. We just started that this because we were two friends and two goons that talked about hockey pretty much exclusively, and we were like, hey, we were, can record this. Uh, so what it's become in a year with you know all of the people that we get to interact with on Twitter. It's it's so much fun. It makes hockey more fun and exciting mm-hmm. every day. So thank you all. And we hope that you do all the things that you do to support us and continue to do it. Follow us on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, rate us, review us, smash the like button, etc. But more importantly, we just hope you keep coming back and listening and yep hitting us up on Twitter and being awesome. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Why did I say that so it sounded sarcastic when it was very sincere? Uh, Probably because we all need sleep. Thank you very much. Uh, Have a wonderful evening. See ya.